this is Robin Hardy, author of the screenplay and will direct and produce The Wrath of the Gods, the third film in the Wicker Man trilogy. And you're listening to Without Your Head. by Sophia Cassiola and Michael Epstein. Hello. Hello. Yeah, it's good to have you guys here. It's been it's been like a year in the making. This interview. <laughs> we we just had to wait for the exact right moment. The planets <laughs> had to be in the right position. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's all worked out. It's freezing. It has. It has. <laughs> they were waiting for the snow to hit us. Now. Yeah. Well, it's seventy degrees where we are. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I think it's five. Raz and Raz. So, blood of the tribids. Yes. You know, well, first of all, how many people uh, mispronounce tribids? Ninety-nine uh, percent. Yeah. Um, Tribades, tribbles. Triblades. Tri- uh, what was, what's the weirdest one? We had. There was one that was super weird. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like. Like, curse of the oh, yeah, oh, of like the the ghouls or something. It was like something the totally goblins, different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, goblins. I don't know, but yeah, tribids. Ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, blood of the tribids. Yes, um, and a tribid is it's an antiquated word for a lesbian. If anybody is curious, hmm. I did not know that. Yes. We were, we were, well, Sophia will tell you. Oh no, we just searched like high and low for a word that wasn't derogatory. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that. That meant basically lesbian, yeah. so we um, we settled on tribid because it just means to rub. <laughs> and nobody recognizes it, so it seems kind of exotic sounding or weird. But yeah. um, but that's yeah, that's how we got there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, uh, for people who aren't familiar with the film yet, uh, give them an idea of what it's about. <laughs> it's a 1970s style, like Euro Hammer film um, about this vampire society that's kind of collapsing because they. They've been around for 2,000 years, and their religion is getting corrupted, and the men and women are fighting each other. And that's basically it, yeah. <laughs> it's a weirdo, it's a weirdo, uh, we, basically we, we started watching a lot of Hammer films and a lot of like the genre alone, just Franco films, and we thought like, these are weird movies that nobody makes anymore, we should just try to make one of these kind of movies, and um, 
so we did. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a, it's a bad idea, but we did it anyway, basically. <laughs> Never what, stopped us. What was it about those movies that, uh, that interested you? Um, for me, I really – well, I think that the moment that it kind of clicked was we were watching – we went to the Brattle Theater to see a double feature of Twins of Evil and Daughters of Darkness – both from 1971, if I'm if I'm remembering Almost correctly. Almost all of them are from 1971. Yeah, that's like the 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 peak year was 1971, and um, I really thought like in Twins of Evil, especially, it was just so awesome that they were looking at the kind of corruption of Christianity and the um and the kind of use of Christianity to attack women, um, because they go around they they basically hunt women who are like like witches or something, which basically just means any woman who is living by herself or isn't conforming to kind of societal standards. And um, I thought that was really cool the way they contrasted that the Christian element with the satanic element of the vampire or the Count Karnstein. Um, and there is a lot of, there are still a lot of parallels in our present society in terms of how religion is used to subjugate and attack different groups. And so we thought, okay, maybe that's a story we could tell. Yeah. They're also just really weird and beautiful and strange um and i love like looking at vampire society because like you can get away with anything and create your own mythology but still have it relate back back to like the real world basically um and there's just a lot you can do like with the fact that they're alive forever you know like what does that mean for their memories and what does that mean for as they go along um so you can you can do a lot and get away with a lot because yeah. <laughs> it's a you know it's its own world mm-hmm. And when you guys decided to, uh, you know, make your own movie like this, uh, was it always going to be a feature? Was it going to be a short at first? So that interesting, interesting question. Maybe, you, maybe you know the answer to this, and that's why you're leading it. But um, it was originally. So uh, we do quite a few of these horror anthologies, um, especially with this guy, this guy Tony Newton, who's in England, puts a lot of them together. And so we were asked to be part of this anthology called Grind Exploitation Two: The Lost Reels, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool actually it just came out um on via trauma this month Mm -hmm. so you can actually see it but i'll I'll get back to that in a second so we originally were going to do a five minute the idea was it was going to be a like a lost scene or a deleted scene from this 1971 lesbian vampire film and it was just going to be the climactic scene from that film the end kind of confrontation between the religious zealot and the um the lesbian vampires essentially and um, so we started working on that and cast it and, and, you know, had it written and started kind of getting locations and props and all that together and just decided we really liked the people we were working with and we really liked the idea of the story. And we had in our heads to get to that one scene, we had kind of already created the entire world around it and created the entire backstory leading up to that scene. So we're like, you know what, let's just be stupid and take instead of making this five minute thing. Let's just make like a eighty-minute thing, um, and so we asked the cast who we had, you know, we had the people we had cast in that were like, "Would you be willing to do this if we expanded it to a feature?" And they were all basically like, "Hell yes!" And so that is how it happened. And um, the, the grind exploitation thing, we we still wanted to be part of that, and so we had some talks with them, and they allowed us to do something really cool, which was to make a grindhouse style trailer for the film. Um, that's unique to that to that anthology. So it's kind of made in a it's the R-rated trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah, <laughs> definitely explicit. Yeah. But um, so we made a trailer that's on the Grand Exploitation um, Grand Exploitation Two that 
kind of uh, it has a voiceover by the the main villain in the film, kind of recruiting men to be part of his cult to to attack and kill off the women. And so um, it was fun to get to make that and to make something out of the film that's special to that that anthology and still get to make the feature film. So that's that's the. I think that's the life cycle of it. Have I, have I, Yeah. Sophia says I've covered it. <laughs> well, I think for me, like when we were planning the short, I had to buy so many costumes and deal with locations and cast it all. I was just like, this is stupid. <laughs> we just got to expand this out because to do all the work for that one short was mm-hmm. insane. And that was, you know, one tenth of the movie basically because we shot like 10 days. So, yeah. And once you start kind of playing with the people and the situations in it and really the story the idea was that it was a deleted scene from this longer piece so um you know it wasn't like we had written it just as a short we had written it as like a segment of a longer thing so it just made sense um and it was you know we're glad we're glad we suffered through doing that even though it was was hard (laughs) actually to answer your first question though uh i did not know it was started i didn't know (laughs) but i did see grind uh grind uh grind exploitation 2 about a month ago and I saw the trailer. That's why I thought. I okay, wonder cool. if that was made, you know, just as kind of a fake trailer thing, or uh, if, yeah. Which there, there was a lot of people I know from the Boston area uh, that were part of that. Uh, some some really wild stuff. Yeah, I haven't actually seen the whole thing yet. Um, I need to watch it. I'm excited to see it because <laughs> I I know. I mean, I you know you've had uh, Paul and and those guys on before who they did something for it I know yeah the ungovernable films films guys (laughs) yeah um, that one's really that one's really out there they're 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 part yeah (laughs) their stuff usually yeah that's (laughs) why that's why we like it yeah exactly Um, I think like Rick Chandler did something for for it too and some other people yeah so anyway a bunch of people I I have worked with on in various capacities I know were were involved in that so that was cool yeah Mm -hmm. were you guys part of the first one. We are in a film that's on the first one. We we didn't make a film for the first one, but we are in Izzy Lee's film called John Smith. We are um, like post-apocalyptic. It was kind of like a Westworld thing, right? It yeah. was like a robot cowboy thing. Oh, cool. Um, and so I was like a guy with a knife who makes a, a, a like some growling noises at someone. And uh, Sophia, you I were had yeah, Sophia had a mustache. Sophia had a mustache. Cousin Jack. Yeah. Oh, I'll say since you you shaved that off since. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's growing it back. It comes out. Once you, you know, you can't yeah. see it. This is, you know, because this is just sound. So the people out yeah. there don't know. But Sophia's growing her mustache back. Italian, I am. <laughs> we CGI'd it out of the out of the podcast. That's right. Now, uh, when you guys started to, to make the movie, I don't think you could have predicted like uh, how topical it would be once it was released. No, it's really funny because when we were creating the movie, we were like, "This is so." We're like, "This is going to be." So heavy-handed. I mean, intentionally, we were just like, "Oh, we're going to make it really heavy-handed and over the top, and really slam the kind of politics of it and the message of it and everything." And as as time progressed, and we saw the kind of rise of the uh, of the the, our current president, um, we realized like none of the absurd things that we had in the film are really that absurd anymore. (laughs) They're just kind of like the reality now. Yeah, yeah. It got really. It was quite disturbing to to see that transformation. But I think we wrote it. It, like even right before the primaries so we had no idea any of this was coming and just the way like sexism is is risen to the surface with the whole election cycle and the women's march like it's all in the film <laughs> in a really weird way so it's very very topical um i mean i guess like none of this stuff ever goes away but it's it's bizarre how yeah. close to what's going on now it is 
Yeah, and we really thought it would be so, like, we were like, oh, our movie's going to be so goofy and over the top and crazy. And, I mean, it is to a degree, but it's also, like, not that over the top when you see no. some of the stuff. Yeah, which is sad. but Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very sad. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. it's not our intention <laughs> that it was this close to reality yeah, I, don't, I don't think we're, we're i mean we're not we're not quite excited about that yeah. but we're, uh, as long as you didn't plan on like conjuring this whole reality no no i can't say we did um but yeah i mean it's it's really interesting because you know we have this sort of demagogue character for anybody who hasn't seen the film it's really, really about like this religious zealot leader demagogue character who uses kind of fear and intimidation to just control everyone and get them to do terrible things um, and the women are kind of scapegoated and victimized and, and there's a, you know, we, we buried a lot of stuff. There's a lot, there are race components and sexuality components that we kind of buried a little bit in it, but it's, um, it's all stuff that, you know, we, we thought like, oh, there's this goofy demagogue character who's, you know, no, nobody would ever fall for this stuff anymore. It's like, oh, you know, the, the era of like the, the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of leader is, is over, but it's, you know, sadly, uh, um, it's not. It's not right. Yeah. Now, yeah. oh, by the way, uh, the guy who plays uh, that character, Grando, uh, Seth uh, Chatfield. He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he might. He might call in later. So if you have questions, <laughs> or we told him to call in and uh, say hi. You know. So if you, if you, yeah, we we do. I mean, we we love working with him. We were excited. We had we had. Uh, um, well, Sophia can talk. I'll well, say. All of our other movies had only women in them, mm-hmm. and so we'd known Seth for a while, and uh, we had wanted to work with him for quite a while, and so when this part came up. We're like, here, play this awful character. <laughs> and I knew he could do it because we'd seen him in another film where he played kind of a scumbag and just yelled all the time. So we're like, all right, you can do this. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he just he did an even better job than I could imagine. He, he came in with like 40 pages of dialogue memorized and made our life really easy on set. So. Yeah, he did an amazing job. Um, so if anybody's looking to cast someone who is awesome to work with, he is your guy. Mm-hmm. Even just some of his uh, his eye motions and, and expressions just really add a lot to the character in the movie. Absolutely, yeah, twitchy eyes. <laughs> yeah, and he and you know, he, I mean, for anybody who hasn't um, who's never like gone through the process of making a film, a lot of that stuff gets brought by the actors. So like, you know, we didn't have in this. I mean, even like the sniffing the rose and some weird stuff he does. That's like really, I think like really textures that character. Um, but none of that's in the script. It was all just like Seth living in that character and finding, you know, ways to work with it. And we love, we love giving actors the space, you know, we're very much the kind of people who are like, leave it a little bit open and then give the actors the space to kind of work with it. And if it's something that doesn't work for us, we'll tell them, but, but usually actors know better than we do where, you know, what the, what the right things to bring to the character are. Um, Cause they really inhabit the character more than we do, you know, as, as writers or directors. Mm-hmm. I'll get a caller on the line 603. Maybe this is him. <laughs> uh-uh. Hey, it's uh, it's Seth. How's it going? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were just talking. Hey about guys, it. hello. It's Grando hey. himself. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. So, <laughs> were your ears were your ears burning? <laughs> yes, they were. Yes, that was really sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so, they, uh, 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 did you have a question for them, or do you want to uh, talk a little bit about about how you got involved in the movie? Um, I mean, Mike pretty much uh, nailed it. Um, I guess from my side, what happened is uh, I, had, I had been told, oh, we'd like you to do this in this five-minute film. And I said, oh, you know, I mean, I can do whatever for five minutes. I can be a terrible person for five minutes, whatever. And then I found out it was going to be a full 
length feature film, and I just got really excited. And it's funny because hearing them uh, talk about not really foreseeing this, it was weird for me. I kind of, I, I kind of felt like there was a little part of me that, that you know, this dark part of me that did kind of think things would go the way, you know, that uh, nobody thought they could go. Um, and and it's, it was very, it was just really surreal. The whole thing has been really surreal in light of what you guys were just talking about with um, sort of the parallels with now. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah. So, so did you have any inspiration uh, f- uh, for the character, you know, how you would play him? <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, that, that also, um, I have to thank uh, uh, Mike and Sophia big time for that because it was, it was a pretty clear, very direct, uh, instruction. It was basically watch Twins of Evil, see what Peter Cushing is doing, uh, be, you know, kind of channel that type of thing. And and I, I it wasn't a hundred percent like a mimic of what Peter Cushing is doing in Twins of Evil, but it was. There are characters like that character that you see throughout the film because there are these themes of patriarchy and oppression that are throughout all kinds of film and a, a lot of different genres, and it's it's not too hard to pull on that intense demagogue you know what i mean um it, it yeah it's it's um it's just part of society it's a real it's a real thing you know it's a real component of humanity mm-hmm. now so uh michael and right sophia there. brought up like things like uh, when you smell the rose it wasn't in the script is that something you think about doing like while you're reading the script or just like when you're in the moment it's something uh, you decide to do Oh, the rose was a really crazy thing because, um, you know, I, I had this thing uh, rehearsed and prepared and, and memorized down to a T. And then when I showed up, uh, the element of the rose was a brand new addition when, when we showed up to shoot <laughs> the film that we weren't even aware of beforehand. So it was every reaction with the rose and every way that the rose was treated was sort of just pretty organically happening while we were shooting it. Um, because it was it was that new. It was it was literally like, oh, the blood fountain we found looks like a rose. Uh, roses, you know, have been used thematically as whips in these other sort of uh, horror context. We're going to pull on that, um, and then and then all these little things just happened. All these little nuances just happened while we were in in the moment, pretty much. So. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you know you're 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 in the movie and stuff. But when what did you think when you saw the uh, the final cut of the movie with all you know what's edited together and it's got the score and everything? I gotta say, I've 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 been in a couple of uh, indie films at this, and 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 I've had a great time doing all of those things um, so far, at least. <laughs> this this was it's it, it was very very unique as far as um, you always have a vision of what you think this world is going to translate to when you're in it. And then when it's done, it's very, it's just, it's always just very different. It's always, it's always, um, you know, things are missing. You thought would be there or, or just this feeling that you thought would be there was missing in the case of blood of the tribbets. It was everything that I had pictured when they first told me about it and more. It was like, I was, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm a little unabashed about it. I was, I was really, really, really happy with it. It looks exactly like a 1971 lesbian vampire horror film. <laughs> I mean, it's, what, what else do you want? Right? I mean, like, you can't ask for more than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's, you know, so yeah, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> very, very thankful, very um, humbled and blessed to have been able to 
um, work on this thing with these guys. So. Mm-hmm. And you had a really, yeah. you had a really sweet uh, uh, scarf, I think, in, in the documentary. Huh? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm a big scarf guy. Yeah, yeah, guilty. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, well, what's interesting about Seth? What's really interesting about Seth is that um, if you watch the film, he's like this really awful demagogue character who's, you know, uh, I don't even know every every awful thing imaginable is that character. And then if you know Seth in real life, he's exactly the opposite of that in every possible way. So it's it, that's one of the great things about making films is you get to like take people you know and like make them turn them into into you know force them to become something like totally opposite what they, what they really are. Um, and that was really fun to watch. I mean, just as like you know while we were creating it, it was really fun to watch the, that character come out yeah. and to to know. I mean, I think pe- people were all amazed at the diff- the difference between. Seth as human and, and <laughs> Grando as, uh, as character. Uh, honestly, we uh, oh, Grando off screen <laughs> on set. <laughs> Along those lines, what, what made uh, Sophia and Michael uh, think Seth would be right for the part? Um, well, like I said, I'd seen him in another film where he played kind of a scumbag and uh, was like, really yeah. yelling at everybody. And so, like, I knew, like, he could yell, you know, and that's, that's like a skill that some actors don't have, like, is just being loud, you know, it's just uh, only certain actors can do it and do it convincingly. So I had seen that and I knew he could do it. And um, he just had a good look for it, too, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, he, he also carries, I think, you know, like, we, we wanted this character, this is really it's a showcase character for the film right and it has you know grando has tons of of monologues essentially in the film um so we really needed somebody who we knew could like find the um deliver it in the -the over-the-top way that we wanted but also find the kind of like subtleties and the mannerisms in it and the and the kind of details and texture in that so it wasn't just like a person standing there lecturing in front you know in front of the group because it easily like if i had tried to play that part i'd just be like here i am shouting these lines like there's not you know i wouldn't (laughs) able to, to bring anything to yeah. it well also our first film 10 we had seth send in like some audio for the very end like you know they're in this house and they're being attacked by like the outside world and, and uh he just sent us this long tape of like saying the line in like 40 different ways but all of them were great and so it's like kind of like a weird little audition in that like because he had to yell this weird line but he just sent us so many options. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, we're here to make the transfer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy can do it. We're like, yeah. this guy can do it. Oh. Stand down. Stand down. <laughs> it, was on, it was on the oh, document. I think it was Seth on the documentary. He said that there was a part when you guys were filming, and he said, like, Michael was off camera yelling, amp up the, the homoeroticism. <laughs> homoeroticism, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yes, that's, really that's happened, definitely yeah. a true story. <laughs> Frequently, well, yeah. How how does one do that? I actually thought it was a uh, incredibly useful and very direct. I mean, it's like how how often do you get such a direct piece of direction? I mean, <laughs> it's true. It's like that that still lets you uh, interpret what it means. You know, I mean, it's so clear. It's like, look, uh, you know, amp up the homoerotica. I don't know. I mean, it, to me, it felt very <laughs> self explanatory. So so that actually that that's where one of those rose moments. Uh, organically evolved from the one where um, uh, Grando is uh, take takes the rose and traces down um, Jacob's nude body with the rose while he is while he's like lambasting him for you know not being a perfect uh, member of the um, cult. Uh, that 
that was just in the moment as and that was my response to it. <laughs> well, so, what, I guess it one works, of the things about was, yeah what the thing about like directing is um and and Seth sort of hit on this a little bit is I think we try if we can and we can't we're not always able to communicate this but we try to not tell actors what to how to say things or what to do but you kind of try to guide right. the um the feeling of it or the context of it so that they can find because like i said before i think the actors know the characters better than we do as directors honestly and so Actually, yeah yeah yeah, so if we can guide that context, I think they can do a better job of finding the actual like specifics of it than we can a lot of times. And you know, and sometimes there's a more sometimes that doesn't work, and then we have to do something more. But I, you know, Seth, I, I would say every time, you know, we would just if we had anything we needed, we would just give a, a, a broad kind of thing, and then he he found the the spot for it. Um, so that was great. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I, I actually think that that is why um, that that directing style is why it's one of the things I, I really really love about this film is that all of the characters are such unique characters experiencing this world in their own way like it's, it's almost like the, every character is under the impression that the film is their film you know what I mean not not the actor but it's almost like the characters have this own their own little universe and you can feel it in the way that Giltina is such an incredibly different attitude and everything that she says and does and the whole character, the style and development of that character is so different than Elizabeth, than Fantine, than, you know, every single person is such an incredibly different and unique. When you see, um, uh, when you see Warren, um, Warren's character, what's the, um, uh, is it a Kaldama? Is that his name? I'm, I'm Bag- Bagdana. Uh, yeah. Bagdana, Bagdana. I'm confusing people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, the, all these little unique nuances. Those happen because Mike and Sophia give give everybody that space because it, it's not just me. It's everybody in the film. It, it's it, given a pretty, uh, it, it's like a specific and yet broad direction that allows for that space, that allows for those really unique characters that, that make this film like have that cool kind of cult movie feel. That's, yeah. And, like, certain characters, we kind of gave the direction of, like, all right, you're doing the hammer horror thing. You're very theatrical. So, like, Mary Widow and, and Seth's character, Grando, are, are both straight out of a hammer horror film. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. Chloe Cunha's character of Fontaine is more of the genre long. Of Elizabeth. Uh, of, of Elizabeth, sorry. Is more of the genre long, like, kind of ethereal. Like, she's in her own space. It's very dreamy. And so, like, and then as it trickled down to the other characters, we kind of let them find, you know, it gave them, like, a list of movies that if they were proactive they went and watched and then they kind of found where they landed within that spectrum of hammer versus like dreamy euro um so it was really interesting because we like to give actors a lot of leeway where we can yeah and like warren you met seth mentioned warren um so warren and and hugh guiney who um plays <laughs> what's the name of the character uh, stoker stoker um both really like decided their characters were going to be like extra weirdo quirky and he, Hugh was like, because he's the one who, well, there's, I don't know, spoiler, he gets um, some of, there's a, I don't know his how member, much I say. All right, he gets his, his genitals gets chopped off. But, um, <laughs> uh, but he was like, you know, I'm kind of like the pervy vampire. I should find a way to be like a weird, creepy, like outsider kind of guy. And so he developed like all, all this walk and this style of talking and everything. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, once he started kind of doing it, we're like, yeah, yeah, bring that, you know, amp that up. Go, like, to, like take yeah. that and run with it. Because- it's quick decisions on 
sunset, you know, because you have like Warren like looking up to sky and stuff, and you're like, all right, he's not doing the same stuff as the other guys, but is this okay? And then like you're like, all right, I like it, so like you just let him roll, you know. Yeah. But it's just like you, you see it happening and unfolding. And you're like, do I change this now or do I like it? You know, it's like quick, yeah, in the moment decisions. But and, and we don't do a lot of takes, you know, because we were the movie. We made this movie in ten days on like three dollars, so um, we don't have a lot of time to do to do a lot of takes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you have to really identify whether something is working or not, like immediately. And, and if it's working, we're usually like, yeah, yeah, that thing you did, you know, you're, you're like Warren, when they mention when Grando mentions Baythor, he starts looking at the sky, he does this like weird religious stuff and everybody else is really stiff and like scared and frozen. And, um, it worked really well for me. I really liked it. So I was like, Warren, do that. Keep, make sure you keep doing that. And he's like, oh, I didn't know if it was too much. I'm like, no, no, keep, keep going. Keep, yeah. you know, keep riding. That. It's a hard line of like you're so busy you can't compliment everything the actors do so i think they get like a little bit worried you know <laughs> and it's like pretty much if we don't stop then it's good you yeah. know <laughs> uh, i'm yeah, really surprised I mean, you're going. yeah man there's so many things that just developed out of out of you guys letting people do like like uh chris and zach's relationship that is like a legendary film relationship to me <laughs> yeah, that just came out of you letting people be who they who they you know organically were becoming it was yeah yeah, the two henchmen have a very mysterious bro relationship because they're just hanging out all, all the time. <laughs> they're they're definitely uh, they're definitely good friends. There's some who, looks. Who, There's some looks. They're yeah. good friends who spend a lot of time naked together. Who and who isn't? But uh, did uh, Seth? Did you get a chance to watch the movie uh, with like people with an audience? Yeah. We had a, um, so I went to a couple of the screenings. Um, I went to the buff screening. That was, that was a great time. Uh, I went to a screening in, um, Sanford, Maine. That was actually really amazing. Um, really, really a unique, like really, um, kind of, uh, you know, movie theater experience. It was, it was, that was a really interesting, um, little festival. And then, uh, we had a very small private screening in, in my, um, kind of hometown uh, and that was that was a really really cool experience too so mm-hmm. and uh, Sophia and Michael what's it like to watch your own movie with an audience I love watching it with an audience um, Boston Underground Film Festival is always a great fest for us mm-hmm. because a lot of our friends come out and so specifically with this film, people were reacting immediately to everything and we got like a clapping standing ovation for the dismemberment. And I was like, all right, this is good. You know, it's going well. It's the first time anybody has seen it. None of the cast had seen it at that point. And so we we're like, only we had known what was going to happen. So it was really nice to have that payoff of like, like, all right, they're with us, you know? And so, and it's every, every screening is totally different with how the audience reacts, but it's always really fascinating. And it's always super fascinating when they have questions. So it's like, even sometimes like a really quiet audience will suddenly have like a hundred questions. Like they're really paying attention to like the mythology. So it really informs us a lot. And in fact, after a couple screenings, people kept asking us how the women fed because we didn't have that scene in there. And we actually went back and shot it because people were really so invested in the mythology that we're like, all right, fine. Like we'll go shoot a little thing with um, Porcelain Dahlia showing the women and how they find their blood. Um, (laughs) So it's like, it tells you a lot, you know, it's like, where are people's heads when they're watching it? What do they like? You know, what, what are they confused about? It's like it's really interesting. Yeah, and you're and you know we're we're cutting this movie at home and watching it. I mean, I by the time we got to the first screening, I had probably even watched the full thing straight through like fifty times. I don't I don't know, and then many more times, you know, in pieces, mm-hmm. um, and doing scoring and stuff, you know. So it was many, I've seen the movie many many times. 
and you lose a lot of perspective as to like whether stuff works. You're like, to me, this should be funny. Is it, are people going to laugh at it? Are they going to react to this? Have I kind of pieced this together with the right tension? You know, does any of this work at all? And um, so when you watch it with an audience and you get like that right, you know, you hear the breaths at the right time and you hear the laughter at the right time. And people being grossed out. And people being grossed <laughs> out at the right time. Then you, it, it's great. It's the greatest feeling. I yeah. think it's really, it's really um, a, a wonderful experience. And it's really great to, we've had our, um, all three of our features have premiered at the Boston Underground Film Festival. And um, they've been so kind and generous to us, um, you know, l- allowing that to happen. And, and um, it's always like a really, it's a good starting point for us and a good launching point for our kind of festival run because, you know, we get a really, we have a, a, a an audience who's there to support us and is excited about it initially. So they're always going to respond really well. Mm-hmm. It's a true story. When I first saw the movie, I was in uh, rehab and uh, so I was watching on my laptop and uh, uh, so I had a, I had a roommate with me. He's like this 93 year old man. So I was like, oh, I think I better get out of here. And so then I brought I would I was keep bringing it to different rooms and like I kept that to hide my laptop when like uh, when the scene like uh, the dismemberment scene and because you know, I didn't want the nurses seeing it they they thought yeah. I, was, I was strange enough so but, <laughs> it's a, it's a very graphic film for anybody who has not seen it it's a, it's a graphic film um, it is illegal to distribute in Japan we found out well, yeah I, I and, noticed that. wow and. Um, and we've been really – so one of our big things, you know, our films sell really well on Amazon. That's like the tendency. So we go, we kind of went there first with this. And um, it's relegated to the like explicit films section on there. So yeah, if you yeah. search for it, you don't really find it. Yeah, if you it. search for it in very small lettering, it'll be like turn on mature to like see more. And it's like so hidden to click that button before it shows up. So it's actually really screwed us over in a lot of ways because it's very hidden. Um, and it's because of the male penises. <laughs> mostly, uh, I think it is, yeah. and, well, and a little bit because of the female penises, but mostly because. Of the right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really disappointing because to me, the nudity is very necessary for the film, and a lot of people have been like, "Well, why don't you just like black box it or cut around it and stuff?" But for me, it's like that quality of having just as much male nudity as female nudity is a huge part of my statement with the film. So it's like it's really not an option to change it. it um, so it's really disappointing to me that like. You know, you can have all this female nudity and you can do all this stuff and you can't have it be the other way around. And also we watch a bunch of shows and there's tons of male nudity now and certain shows, a lot of HBO stuff. But, like, that's on Amazon. That's not hidden. That's not mature. And so, like, you see, like, that the level of censorship is different for an indie film rather than HBO. And that's kind of bullshit, too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because yeah, HBO has been doing it for years. I mean, yeah, you know, we just, we just watch things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I just watched Westworld. It has more dicks than we do. <laughs> and no, but even fun. their older shows. It might be a like tie. Us. It might be a tie. <laughs> Maybe it's a tie, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, uh, oh, by the way, when I said rehab, it was uh, physical rehab because I'd sort of <laughs> wasn't on heroin or anything. But. Sure, sure. <laughs> With your 93-year-old heroin addict roommate. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty bad. Uh, so, so it wasn't William Burroughs. Okay. It was just <laughs> <laughs> it did, yeah. yeah. No judgment. No. <laughs> so uh, why was that important? Uh, I understand because I've watched a documentary and I get the movie stuff. But why is it? In, why was it important for you to, uh, to show the male nudity? Well, one of the the uh, concepts in the film is that we were we were really interested in looking at the way people are portrayed in these like early seventies lesbian vampire films, and um, you know I keep coming back to Twins of Evil, 
But that one particularly interested me because it was all about the women being exploited and like attacked for like being, I don't know, witches or, or not holy enough or not religious unmarried. enough or unmarried. Um, and so you watch films like that and you watch films like, um, what's the Vincent Price one? Um, uh, the Cry of the Banshee. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they basically they basically just go around and they're like, this woman's a witch. Let's rip her clothes off and like kill her. <laughs> and so that happens like over and over again in those films. Um, in, in fact, Cry of the Banshee is almost comical because they just they're like, here's a woman. Let's rip her clothes off. Like it, it's not even like part of the story. They were just like, I think the contract said they had to rip the clothes off. Of, like, too. Yeah. Just they, like a random like, let's rip this woman's clothes yeah, off. And so it's very common in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very common, very common in the 70s. And it was all that stuff really is about like, I mean, I mean, it was it was critical of it. Obviously, like that, that those characters, are, the characters who are doing that, are portrayed negatively. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's it wasn't it's very exploitative. It's exploitative. So it's, we yeah, thought like, weirdly glorified, yeah. Yeah. So we thought it would be really great to do something that's that's really flipped around and show like men being put into vulnerable positions and having their clothes ripped off. Um, and so we have all these scenes where men are have their clothes ripped off and are like tortured and killed. And we um, try to shoot them exactly the same way as those movies. Because we're shooting the women yeah. in those situations. Like we over-sexualized them and spent... It, the, the idea was like we lingered on the penis shots for like, you know, two seconds too long. I was always like, where do I feel the cut is natural? And then I'm like, okay, extend that two seconds. Like that's, that's where I'm going to put the cut. And penises still make people uncomfortable, whereas like breasts don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like, you know, free the penis because like it shouldn't make people uncomfortable. It should just be the same as... <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, so it was important to us... Effort. Yeah, I mean, the film is very much like a gender politics film, so it was really important to us to kind of uh, portray the men in the exploitative way and for that to kind of be flipped around. We do have a lot of, there's a lot of nudity, there's a lot of women who are nude in the film as well, so don't, if you're, if you're like, if that's your reason for watching, I guess you can still, you can still watch it, but. um, Women try to treat very differently, even though it is gratuitous in spots, it's um, kind of tender, I think, with the women's nudity, it's, it's, they're nude for themselves, they're not nude for any guy any sort of male gaze within the film uh so i think that's important too is like their nudity all makes sense in their own reality mm-hmm. right and the men are reacting to it like it's it's um you know seeing a woman naked is like it's their fault that you're tempted by that right it's like well i mean sophia plays the first character in the bath um who's named Bathsheba, and if you're familiar with the it's you know right out of the biblical story where basically mm-hmm. like you know david sees her on the roof and then everything goes wrong and then he's basically shamed before God as a result of that and can't build the temple and so we want to do um, you know really really just like hammer in that that uh, that same biblical allegory and say like okay you know the men are blaming the women it's not it's not the men's fault that they can't control themselves when they they see you know women around it's like it's the women's fault she was wearing a short skirt yeah she's wearing a short skirt (laughs) Um, so so we wanted that to be part of the film you know so all this is really I mean we, we we didn't just have nudity because, like, we're like, well, we should have nudity in this film. Um, we we wanted it to really be part of what the story was and what the kind of themes are. Um, and so it's hard to cut it out. It's hard to say, like, okay, we can just censor that all out and still have a film that means the same thing to us. So we we haven't yeah. done that. There's this movie that came out a few years ago. It's, we saw it at, at Boston Underground Film Festival called Dare Samurai, and it's this German film. But there's a scene near the end with an erect penis that's like very thematically it, like needs to absolutely be there. And then when it showed up on Amazon and Netflix, they blackbarred it, and it's like it makes me so angry that they blackbarred it because it was so important wow. what was going on in yeah. the film. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a sword, basically. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's such a good film. But like this black bar over it is just such censorship and it, it pains me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to do that with our film. <laughs> but it means well, it's bizarre too, considering what, what is like, you know, what you guys are like, what is permitted to show with a female body, not just nudity, but like really violent, awful, misogynist, like exploitative. Ex- exploitive, just like awful, awful stuff is permissible. That's it's totally fine. It's in mainstream TV, uh, but yeah. a penis is is you know beyond the pale. So, right. Yeah. Well, we're trying to change that. <laughs> Woo, we're too small to change it. <laughs> but you know, no. I mean, I think there's a whole a whole wave of stuff that is changing that. But you know, we want to we want to ride that wave or be part of it. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how did you find out the movie's banned in Japan? Do you get, like, an email or just something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we're working with a bunch of different... I mean, distribution is a very complicated and, and, um, and boring story for, for film these days. But instead of, like, the traditional way is you'd go to, like, one distributor and sign away all the rights, and then they would do stuff with it. So now we do everything kind of, like, a la carte, where we have, like, 50 different people who are kind of distributing it in different capacities and different formats and everything. So all the people we... We've, you know, we've worked with who are looking at putting it out in foreign countries. Basically, can't they're like it's illegal for us to uh, put this out in Japan. So we we've had you know a few basically say like we can't we can't. This is why we have tentacle porn is because they can't show <laughs> genitalia right. in Japan. Yeah, so they get really weird. They show tentacles. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. which is totally fine. <laughs> yeah, we should have replaced all the penises with tentacles. I guess. Yeah, maybe maybe I'd be oh, okay. Wow. With that. I always wondered about that. That's a really like that. great explanation. Yeah. Blood, of the, wow. blood of the Cthulhu tribute. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, uh, some of the, who who does uh, like some of the effects in the movie? Because uh, like the the rose thorn to the eyeball is pretty sweet. Oh yeah, we well Sophia will talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, we were like kind of researching like how we were going to cut the open this eyeball with the rose thorn and. We didn't want to use a real eyeball because we thought that was gross and we're vegans and it just wasn't a thing we wanted to do, though we were willing to do if we had to. So we kind of asked around and one of our friends suggested um, using like silicone that's supposed to look like glass. It's very, very clear silicone. So we got a glass eyeball and coated it with like tons of layers of silicone and then used an actual thorn in a macro shot to cut it while we were squirting fake blood into it with a syringe. So it's a super close-up shot where it gets really nasty looking because it looks like the cornea is being slit and all this blood is rushing in. And it takes an entire day to set it up to do it once. Oh, yeah. So, so I only had one eyeball. And yeah. <laughs> only like, you know, if we had to do another take of it, we would have to start all over with the silicone and the drying and the waiting. <laughs> so we only did it once. But a lot of that stuff we do way after the fact, like a lot of the close-up gore shots um like the feet being slammed on the glass and the penis in the tree and the eyeball we do all that on our own without any actors and um just on our own time so we can take our time with it and not worry about it while we're on set trying to do like a really tough practical effect on set mm-hmm. try to do all that after the fact mm-hmm. yeah and like the glass walking i would you know this is if we want to talk about effects um our our friend desert the strange is a is a like a sideshow magician and he does glass walking and so we were like, oh, that would be cool to put in the movie because it's so gross to watch it, you know, watch. Oh, I couldn't even watch it while we were filming it. I hit record and just like closed my eyes and held my hands over my ears. <laughs> um, so, he, you know, so he walked on real glass. People are always like, oh, you got like fake glass. But no, he walked on real glass. And then at the end, when when his feet get slammed into it and they're bleeding, those are 
actually my feet yeah, shot months glass. later. Yeah, fake glass at that yeah. point. So, yeah, he really did that, though. He pulled out uh, a bunch of intact bottles, smashed them up, and then walked on them. It just happened. Yeah, it's so gross. Uh, <laughs> you said about, you know, uh, closing your ears, too. So I know it's sound effects in the movie, but can you really hear him, like, breaking and stuff when he's walking uh, on the glass? Yeah, it crunches, yes. and it's so loud, and it's so crunchy. <laughs> and I just have a thing with <laughs> stuff being stuck in my feet. Yeah. Like, it's, like, one of my, like, terrors so it's like the worst thing in the world for me like even with the film like watching it like half the time i turn away <laughs> for that like, even just now watching it yeah. but i, I kind of love that because that's you know like as a kid i don't know if you, you you grew up you know i think we're about the same age and and i i grew up in that like vhs era where i would rent like the weirdest grossest movies Mm -hmm. and i always wanted like there to be that one scene i'm like i want that one like really gory insert scene that i'm like kind of freaked out by that just pops out of nowhere and i'm like yeah you want to be really uncomfortable uh, i want to see that like (laughs) yeah like i I, I want that experience in every film um and so we always try to put in like one or two things that have that kind of feel where you're like you want to turn away or you groan or and that's what you know watching with the audience and hearing them react to that is so great like that's so funny too because the men have a very different reaction to the penis and the truth than the women <laughs> the men are like oh no and the women are like yeah <laughs> that's what i want to see yeah there was definitely a lot of clapping the first yeah. at the first screening yeah. so fun. <laughs> well, are there any things that you were surprised you got like a bigger reaction from the crowd oh man i didn't know grando was as funny as he is until oh, the yeah. second that i was sitting there with people and i realized holy shit this is hilarious so yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i mean it you know it's surprisingly this film i think like people reacted to it pretty like as they were watching i think pretty much in line with what we had hoped in a lot of ways um which is a lot you know a lucky thing because you, you it's just chance almost you know you don't really know um but no i think like when we were when we wrote the script i mean one example is like when we wrote the script the um Giltine, who was played by cindy was kind of like a pretty small character like she fights a little bit but she's like a she was a pretty small in the script and as we started working with her we kind of like kept expanding her into like a bigger character and like to do more kind of like knocking people over and killing and whatever and so um that kind of grew as we were shooting and i think people a lot of people respond well to that i mean we got really lucky in casting with her because she's so tall and strong and like just physically this presence and you know so fun to work with that like once we started shooting it, we we're like, all right, she's going to be like a scene stealer for sure. And so that's, you know, we were lucky because like, you know, we're the writers. We can kind of like expand on it a little bit. And just because she's so physically able to do these weird flips and things, too, like we just like let her do all that. We had um, we had a stunt choreographer that worked with her and the other actors to, to make sure everybody was safe and could do what they were, you know, were able to. But, you know, just because she was so experienced with different dance forms and different fighting forms like it was really cool how that came out and it was kind of a surprise to us and it was really just luck of casting mm-hmm. yeah well you mentioned that you knew seth and, and the and the glass walker uh the other cast did you know most of them or like how did you go about uh you know casting the movie yeah i mean mary widow we'd wanted to work with for a while um so she's always was always on our mind for it especially she just has such a perfect look for the hammer horror aspects and uh and chloe also we had just kind of recently met and been working on like, like a live theater show with her and we knew she was bilingual with French and um well the movie wasn't going to even be in French originally I mean the short it was going to be in English but it was but it was really influenced by these French 
it was really, really like the short, especially was like a really Roland influenced um, short. And so, you know, when we, I think I posted about it and she was like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, you know, I love that stuff. Um, and she's friends. And she's, she's <laughs> like, if you need help, if you want any like translation or anything kind of like on that front, like let me know and I'd be happy to be part of it. And um, so I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like I hadn't even really, I almost hadn't even really thought of that. And, um, and then eventually we were kind of like, oh, we don't know. Although, you know, that's a great idea. We want to do that. But can we get people who are going to like speak French or, you know, it's a whole, whole big thing. And she's like, well, I would be willing to do it. <laughs> and so we're like, wait a second, this might work out. Yeah. Um, so we, she kind of, you know, we, we had just known her a little bit, but that kind of worked out because of the French thing. And that really, you know, obviously changed the whole film. I mean, that, at that point, because that made it the, the, for anybody who hasn't seen it, there's a big section of it in French. Um, and the language is an important part of the storytelling in the sense that they, they, this group of people is lost, they've lost their history and their kind of the source of their religion and their ideas, and um, so the return to French is this, this kind of like symbolic representation of their the restoration of their memory and their you know their true selves, I guess is the way I would put it. But um, and the rest of the cast. Oh, the- Two henchmen we asked to be in it because we're especially like there's going to be so many like kind of explicit scenes that they needed to be in that we're like, we just need guys we can trust because I've been in situations and I've heard situations where, you know, men on set are not uh, polite (laughs) or (laughs) keeping shit to themselves or like just like overly offensive to the women that are trying to work. So I was like really concerned about it because like I have had that experience. It was, you know, it's just awful when, you know, you're putting your actors in an uncomfortable situation with somebody so that was really important to me to like just find guys i knew i could trust around women which is like really a weird thing to have to think about Uh but so with them that was like i just cast them just from friends zach had worked with us a ton on magnetic as a pa and you know just really grew to like him a lot so with that experience and um after that we held casting calls and most everybody we knew from the burlesque performance comedy music scenes um but we did have them come in and we talked to them and let them read stuff. Um, almost nobody, uh, the twins came to us and not as somebody we knew, but through some, you know, another filmmaker they're really yeah. good to. And yeah, um, our friend, Matthew Martino, who made, um, Chainsaw Maidens. I don't know if you've seen that, but, um, he's a, another Boston filmmaker guy, yeah. but those were, the twins were his cousins or something. Yeah, like his that. Cousins. Um, so that but was everybody helpful. Everybody else, you know, we knew either directly or friend of a friend kind of, um, yeah, but we did, we, we helped, we had open casting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the sense that we we put out ads and then looked at, you know, looked through many, many re- responses and kind of tried to pick people we th- thought would work for the various things. And, you know, those decisions are made by it's, – it's funny because people are like – they always are curious how those decisions are made. And a lot of it is like, well, this person looks – different enough from everyone else so they'll fit in or this person is like the right age for this thing so they'll fit it's kind of a weird it's a weird process and yeah. we and we had people we wanted to put in who just we couldn't fit like they didn't work for one reason or another we had one character that we were working on we originally the twins were going to work under like a doctor character that we ended up cutting because we liked the twins better as their own thing so you know it kind of all it's it's a yeah. you throw a bunch of stuff in the air and then you try to catch everything and like whatever That's also is in what your people- head are willing to do you know like with the with the casting call we had like are you willing to do nudity do you have special skills and so that's how we cast desert where he had the skill of walking in glass you know mm-hmm. and so it's uh a lot of it comes down to that we're like with the the nephite characters where they're all redheads we cast two women that already had bright red hair and then another one who just had natural brown hair lilith beast and you know but she was 
excited to dye her hair bright red and everybody got a fresh dye job for the the movie but I was like this is big like your hair is really long and you're gonna dye it bright red for our film and then I was really happy that she's kept it since then (laughs) so it wasn't just like for me you know I forced her to go do this thing Um, so it kind of comes down to like what the actors are willing to put up with (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) too So you mentioned you know it's hard to find on Amazon because uh, you have to have like the uh, setting right. So how what is like the easiest way for someone to bo- find uh, blood of, blood of the tribids? If you just go to bloodofthetribids.com, dot uh, com and tribids is T R I B A D E S, um, then you there's a a link for watch that has all the links to the different sites that you can buy it or watch it on. So yeah. that's the easiest way. And what kind of specials do you get on the, uh, the Blu Ray? So the Blu-ray is not out yet. Um, the Blu-ray will be out in March. And I don't know if we're allowed to really – I'm just going to talk let's, – okay, let's put it this way. You've, I think you've done some work with Horror Pack before. Is that – would you – Yes, yeah. That's true. Okay, so Horror Pack is a really cool thing. For anybody who doesn't know, it's a subscription service. You get um, like four Blu-rays or DVDs a month, and they're surprises. So you never know what you're going to get. Kind of The pack is like the price of one Blu-ray. Yeah, it's only like $25 for the four. And let's just say if you are a fan of Blood of the Tribbids or you're interested in it and you happen to subscribe to Horror Pack in March, <laughs> uh, you might find something you like in it. I can't – I don't know what. I can't I, – you know, it's a surprise, so I can't really say. But let's just – let's just – we'll put it that way. So that the Blu-ray that will be out, um, it, it will be out uh, for individual purchase as well probably in April. And it contains – um, we haven't done the director's commentary. We're about to do that this week, so we will. Ha- it will have a director's commentary, and it will. It also has a feature-length documentary that Sophia will tell you about. <laughs> yeah, it's called "The Blood Is the Life," which is kind of the catchphrase from the film. But we um, we were back home in Boston over the holidays and tried to round up as many cast and crew as we possibly could, and, and did full interviews with them, which was really interesting because now it's about a year and a half after we made the film with them, and a year since they've all seen it. So. It was kind of cool to like get their impressions now on what their characters were and what the film is and their memories. And so we cut all that together into like a two-hour documentary, um, kind of talking about the different themes and what we try to do with the film. And you know, and people's to people, you get a, you get a sense of who everybody is, you know, as themselves and how they approach their characters and stuff. So it's, I think it's a really interesting documentary, but it's two hours long, so you have to be kind of invested in it. Um, so that's really. I think came out really cool. And so we're going to do the director's commentary as well. We're going to talk about more of the specific production yeah. production things. But the documentary really covers the themes. And the documentary is also, it's currently available via Vimeo on our website. And it will be on Amazon like as soon as they approve it. Um, and it shouldn't be hidden, I think, because it's <laughs> not as explicit. Uh-huh. Um, so it should, it should be out, you know, beyond just waiting for the Blu-ray. I think you, you're actually, it'll be on Prime. So if anybody has that, you can watch it for free. Um, and it'll it's on our Vimeo for purchase uh, right now. So that will be available. And I think those are the big bonus things is the commentary, which we love doing commentaries. It's really fun for us. Yeah, we never know if anybody's ever going to listen to them, but we do like to do them. I'm a big fan of listening to commentaries. Yeah. Yeah. Same there. And uh, yeah, so the documentary is penis free. They're not. Well, it's it's quick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's some footage of the the day with the fake penis, um, the day we went out and did it. pinned to the tree so it has like all the footage of, of me like pinning it to the tree and covering it with blood and stuff so it's like it's really fast you know but it's really funny i think to see it like how 
silly it looks like attached we attached it to a mannequin to cut it off and we you know stuck it in this tree and i had all these rubber gloves on over my winter gloves because it was like in february when we shot that and it's really funny to see it flopping around i think (laughs) and when we when we started making films one of the big ways that we learned was by watching these like behind the scenes documentaries and interview docs and stuff Mm. and so we we felt like we wanted to make stuff that kind of uh, gives that that sort of a, of a look into what the film is and that kind of insight into like how we put it together, what the you know what the mayhem is like, and how the actors all perceive their experiences um, in it. And um, it was really interesting for us to do it. I mean, it's kind of you know it's a little it's long, like Sophia says, it's like probably a little self indulgent in that in that way. But um, it's I think it's fun if you want to learn about filmmaking and you want to learn about like what we you know how we are approaching making a film like this for again for no you know almost no money and with almost no time and And we let people talk for a long time because i think it was interesting about doing the nudity and it's about being nude on set and what it took for them to come to the conclusion that they wanted to do the nudity in the film and so i think that's really interesting especially for filmmakers who want to have people nude in their film it's like kind of an insight into what's going on with the actors Yeah, I quite enjoyed the the documentary myself, and uh, it doesn't seem long while you're watching it. So. Good, good, good. Yeah, we don't, we never know what experience is going to be like. So yeah. Yeah, glad, glad you felt that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm biased because I'm talking through a hell of a lot of it, but it's it's a pretty amazing doc, guys. I mean, let's not get ourselves. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, it was fun because we really we. I mean, we we shot it in one, essentially one day, almost all of it, and then I had like one month to to put it together. So I had and and um, like Hugh Guyney, um he wasn't in Boston at the time we shot it, so he interviewed himself. You know, we sent him questions, he recorded himself, and then we shot interviews with ourselves later to fill in and gaps and to do other things. So you know, it was really like it was a quick turnaround to try to like take all this interview footage and try to craft like a story out of it. Yeah. You know, because we don't. It wasn't, we probably have like, like twelve hours of footage. Oh, it was more than that. Right? Yeah, it was something like close that. To Twenty. But, I mean, we kind of asked everybody similar questions, but people really surprised me with what they had to say in a good way. Like it was really very fascinating. Um, yeah, we we really liked letting the actors talk because we thought, okay, we're going to have to talk a lot about like the themes and the and the ideas. And instead, what we ended up getting was that the actors kind of talked about those things. And so we're like, let's let's let their voices kind of represent you know the ideas of the film rather than have us do it. Um, Which is interesting too, because like when there's common on things and they have the actor there they're always like that day I had a sandwich and you know they have nothing to say about the actual <laughs> film or any uh, of the themes in the film but with our film I think because all these people come from performance and from different art forms they really were on board with a lot of the things we were trying to do with it and they had a lot to say which is different than my experience with watching other actors try to talk about whatever <laughs> film they were in uh-huh. so it was really unex- it wasn't unexpected because I know everybody is really smart and awesome that we're in our film Film, but mm-hmm. it was nice to to have that where we yeah. didn't have to just be like, and this is what this is about, or we could just be like, here's ten people talking about the religious themes in the film, and here's ten people talking right. about the feminism in the film. Um, yeah, so we actually minimize the amount that Sophia and I are in the film, um, and so you know, if if somebody sees it and they're like, why aren't they, you know, why why didn't they talk about all this stuff? It's because we we if we felt like somebody else kind of represented the different ideas, we tried to put them in to do that, and you know, to stay out of it, we didn't need to we didn't need to repeat things that they. They said, or take space that they could be in. Um, so that was nice. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little, little let down though that I didn't find out what kind of sandwich anyone was eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how good the food was on set, so <laughs> let's not let's not get into that. No, I'm just Chris kidding. Chris Halleck bought us little pizzas one day. <laughs> yeah. 
No, we had we some tried donuts. To... We had some donuts. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> we tried to feed everyone, but you know, sometimes that that got a little uh, got a little haywire. Got a little haywire, but yeah, but you know, hey, I think. I have the impression that most everybody had fun making the film. <laughs> they still talk to us. They still talk. With everybody's still kind of friends with us, so we didn't lose any friends as a result. Which is always like that's my metric of like, did we? Was this experience okay? Like, does anybody hate me after after the things done? Uh, now you mentioned so. that you learned to do a lot of things uh, from watching, you know, uh, documentaries or the the what, what you know different things on the movies. So. This is what your third feature together. Yeah, third, third. feature. Yeah. So, uh, do you guys have formal like? Uh, did you guys go to film school or? No. Um, right before making our first feature, so we come from music. We were in bands for a long, long time, over a decade, and we started doing music videos with different directors, and that those are really great experiences because we're like on set. And I think both of us always had an interest in film. It was just very difficult to do when you needed actual film film, you know, or like a VHS camera or something. So, you know, I did some of that in high school, but like didn't really pursue it. I pursued music instead. And so then once we started making these music videos, we're like, all right, let's just buy a camera so we can do this cheaply. And then we started making short films. And then when we were going to do 10, our first feature, we watched every Lloyd Kaufman, like make your own damn movie. There's like a 10 hour series about making trauma films. And it was so informative. And we learned so much from that, including always shoot the nude scenes first so they don't change their minds <laughs> so we do that a lot yeah, or if they do change their minds they're out right it's away too late. Right. yeah no, they're out them. right away yeah. yeah so um so we did that <laughs> and we listened to a lot of commentaries i think the best commentaries that really informed me was on carrie there's like a commentary and interview with the art director about how he went and found props and and it was fascinating. So you would just go to like random bodegas and buy all the religious stuff in the bodega. And like, so that was just really informative. Like, oh, okay. He just like goes out there and looks for stuff. It's not like a secret, you know, it's interesting. And then the movie Chopping Mall has a great commentary with the director about like how they shot that movie overnight in the mall while the mall was closed and then had to like roll up all their stuff at 6 a.m. every morning. And it was just like, it was so tedious and awful for them, but it was like fascinating to hear it. Um, so we just learned a lot that way. And like, you know, there's a lot of problems in our first film but it's an interesting first film i think we survived making we it. survived it and we learned a ton and you know and it got out there it has a distributor it's on amazon and it's like it's out in the world um but yeah i think you know what sophia kind of pointed to it but the big thing for us was actually looking at like low budget films and watching the commentaries and the featurettes and stuff because there's not a lot to learn probably like if, if i watched a, or listened to a commentary on like the avengers movie or something that none of that's going to really apply right. to us right. they don't know the pain and suffering right <laughs> but like you watch a trauma film and like how that's made like how by by whatever magic and and favors and and begging uh you know something gets thrown together for like the five dollars they have high where they burn the photograph of the school yeah. to show it on fire it's just like shit like that that you can get away with with camera angles yeah it's like you don't, you don't learn that stuff I, I think you know, I think you don't learn it in film school, and I think you don't learn it on a big set. Yeah, you know? so it's about it's about innovating and problem solving. And so, like a lot of these low budget films, when you hear about how they approach problems, you're like, okay, cool, I can solve these kinds of problems too. Like, I, you, it kind of empowers you to be like, okay, they had to suffer through all this stuff too. They had no resources. Like, right, their robots are breaking down yeah. constantly. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, if you weren't playing with Disney money, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really. 
I mean, I love watching commentaries to, to this day, and, and um, I think they're very helpful for that's, – that's the best film school for me. And then just making stuff is the best film school because, right. like, you, you, you're like, I don't know how to use a camera. Let me mess around with it yeah. and do it. And then you see what you did wrong, and then you're like, okay, next time I will do it right. And you make different mistakes. And, you know, every, every time we make something, we, we learn new things, and we learn not to do certain things, and we get better. So um, that's – Each film I've kind of approached a little differently, like 10 10- – we shot, we rented a mansion for a week and shot it in that week, like 20 hour days. And then the next film we shot over like nine months on weekends, you know, and, and then like tributes was kind of like a combination of both those things, but with an enormous cast. So it was like, we try to approach or like try to fix the problems of the previous one by doing it slightly differently on the next one. And I don't know if we've hit the exact right yeah, you stride. Find new problems. Yeah. You find new, new reasons why that doesn't quite work. But, um, you know, it's like you learn every time and even tributes, you know, I'm very proud of tri- but like I look at some of the cinematography I'm like oh you know now I know like how to fix this issue or how I would do this shot better but like you know it's it's a journey yeah uh, and we were rushing you know I mean we're, we're we don't have the, again yeah indie films you don't have time you don't have money yeah. <laughs> so you know we made the movie made it very fast we we shot it in 10 days of principle um which is you know probably about half as long as we would need to do a like the right <laughs> at least yeah. a better job um and through you know one third as long as if we really wanted to make it you know do it do it exactly right um but that's the those are the resources we had at the time and that's the money we had at the time and we want to make sure we we respect all the people we're asking to be involved in it and and you know get the best we can out of what we've got um yeah like i think seth was only on like three days (laughs) yeah 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 it's true they were intense days they were long long days days. weird yeah yeah, they were (laughs) So you said you filmed it over ten days. How long after that did it take to you know to actually make it into a movie? So we filmed it from like July to October over weekends. I would say. Yeah, and when the and we wanted to get it into buff, and the buff deadline is December thirty. The final like the like you have to absolutely get it in was like December thirty first. Yeah. So I had to have like at least a um. I'll, I'll maybe I'll throw them under the bus. We had like a not really finished cut by then. But um, it had to be good enough that they could see what it was and trust us that they, we were going to make something that they wanted to program. Um, and so, I did, you know, we tried to get we, – we were like we got the best we could by December 31st. So we had an assembly, which is like a rough – a very rough cut by December 31st. I don't think it had music yet or it had half the very, music. Very, very fast. Yeah. Yeah, I think it had some of the music at that point. But um, and that's like insane. Like, so pretty much from like November to December, like all I did was edit. <laughs> yeah. It was like every you know, wake up, edit for eight hours, uh, um, rest for an hour, and then edit for four more hours. And we had a couple more months to to finish it up before the premiere was in the end of March. Yeah. So that's a super fast clip, though. Took like it was pretty much like six months, and yeah, not even right. It's, yeah, it's very painful. <laughs> it's a lot of suffering that if you do that, but yeah. But well, also, I'm. I mean, I think it keeps you in it, you know, it keeps you from getting distracted by life or something else, yeah. you know. The music also, I mean, we, we haven't really talked about that, but um, so I, I, I did the music with Catherine Capozzi. We just sat down together and kind of like watched each scene and, and just scored, you know, while we were looking at each scene. And I think we spent probably like 15 days scoring or something like that. So I think we spent more days scoring than shooting, if that makes sense, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of, which is kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny thing, but... Um, you know, it was more casual because it's just the two of us hanging out. And so it wasn't like we didn't feel rushed, you know, because we were just like on our own schedule with that a little bit. But um, but yeah, 
you know, stuff takes a long time if you want to make it work, I guess. Yeah. So can you talk about the scoring process? You know, how you go about doing that, what kind of stuff you're looking for? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think we were, you know, we listened to some of the scores from uh, a lot of those like 70s films, especially the Hammer films. And we listened to the scores from like some of the Argento films and some of the Roland films are a little more like psychedelic and other stuff. And we kind of just sat down and said like, okay, you know, I talked to Catherine's really awesome. Um, she plays in the, this band Axe Monkey. That's her main project. And um, she's just an amazing musician, an amazing composer. Like a virtuoso guitar player. An amazing guitar player. One of the best <laughs> guitar players around. And um, so we just sat down together and we kind of talked through like what the approach was going to be and what we were thinking about. And a lot of it to me is not just like making music. It's about making music that un- that underlines the moments in the film or the themes in the film that we want kind of like underlined. So um, I gave this example in the doc where like there's a specific kind of droney, repetitive thing that happens whenever Grando is giving his like monologues. And we repeated that, you know, so he's the main, you know, male villain. And we wanted to make sure that like some of the female characters also we heard that same kind of motif underneath them. And when they talk, because they're kind of complicit in the in the um, suffering and exploitation of the women. Um, and so we wanted to, like, really, you know, think about motifs and thematic elements. And so it's, you know, it's more than just like what music sounds cool in this in this spot. But then at the same time, a lot of it is like, let's just watch the scene. And OK, let's start with, you know, we wanted to do kind of like orchestral stuff, um, sort of like string quartets and orchestral kind of stuff. And uh, we didn't have the budget to hire a string quartet or orchestra so we basically what that means is that we have um, a sampler in the computer and we have a keyboard controller and we sit down and we play the keyboard um, and we set it you know we're like set it, set it to violin play play a violin part you know set it to viola play a viola part um, you know set it to a French horn play a French horn part and we kind of do that in layers until we feel like the scene is is developed enough and is working and then we we might add little other sound design elements that that kind of blend with the score so I was doing the sound design as well and some of that I did before we scored some of it I did after we scored it's kind of like you go back and forth and put with those the samples in. now I just want to say like they're samples of real, real musicians playing they're not like just computer like you know yeah. it's like uh, so they're they're good samples <laughs> of like actual musicians so it's like it doesn't sound like synthetic yeah they sound pretty good I mean you can't do a hundred percent of the you know you're limited somewhat to different styles of picking or playing so it's hard there are things you could do on a real instrument that you can't do in in sample but you know but you can make a lot of stuff work and, yeah. and the music and all the is guitar is real all the acoustic yeah. guitar that runs through it is all just Catherine so yeah Catherine had a really nice acoustic guitar that she, she played a lot of um you know throughout the whole thing and played a lot of the themes throughout um so yeah so I mean really like we just sit down with with each scene and we're like what is this scene trying to accomplish what are the musical like movement like what are the swells that we need in this to accomplish that what are the the motifs we need in it to accomplish that and then like you know let's just start banging away at it and then you know we'll do we'll lay down a few tracks and then decide things don't work or move them around or um and then keep layering until we feel like we've got you know what what we wanted and and Catherine and I really just sat there and kind of worked through it and did that and she mostly played I I was more like the The producer engineer person on that I I played less than she did occasionally I'd play stuff or you know I'd, I'd copy paste stuff around so I did you know some of that kind of thing but it was mostly like she would do the musicianship part and I would do the the more of the planning producing kind of part. Mm-hmm. I also liked a lot of the sound effects in the movie, just like 
they're a little bit like amplified, just like if someone's drinking something or if they drop like a little bottle yep. <laughs> and ping and stuff like uh, it adds a little silliness to the movie, but it really works. Yeah, we, you know, I love um, that kind of like Foley feel where it's like because a lot of older films, they didn't really even have like production sound um, or they had very little production sound. So almost all of it was created in post. And, you know, you have those like real Foley artists who are doing these over the top exaggerated kind of sounds and oh. i, I kind of prefer that in this type of film um i think people expect it too because like if you hear somebody punch somebody it doesn't it's not it doesn't make a loud crack you know but that's what people expect when they see violence they want like a loud like bone breaking sound and i think that's what we gotten used to from watching films and watching these old foley films yeah so we do a lot of that we use sound libraries we so we in other words we have we we subscribe to a sound library that we we can get samples from of different things. I do some foley where I, we make sounds. Um, you know, we we um, sometimes we have to recreate actions in scenes. Like we didn't really get sound for it. So we're, uh, like, especially in our last film, Magnetic, we did no production sound. It was all post. And so I, you know, we'd ha- it was like sounds of putting on jackets and like, you know, moving pressing buttons and moving things around. So Sophia and I would I'd set up the mic. Sophia would like put the jacket on in sync with whatever was happening on the yeah, screen. Just, like, and, watch like, the screen. And, yeah. Like, so every you know jackets, every like, sound was. Like you know, dial a phone. It's it was very silly. I wish um, I had footage of that. Yeah. So Tribbins is more was more I think like using library stuff and Foley stuff, less about recreating re- realistic stuff. But um, but yeah, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's your world to create, right? A film is your your universe to to make. So you you kind of have to decide like, what do I want that universe to be, and what sounds do I want to omit, and what sounds do I want to enhance, and um, and all of that affects the experience for the viewer. Like so, you know, when you're watching the film. Um, uh, if I make a sound really loud that shouldn't be really loud, that draws your attention to it and tells you that that's a focal point. You know, that tells you that you should be paying attention to that. Um, or if something's happening on screen and I don't put the sound, that's kind of an indicator that like it's not really that important. You know, it's happening, but it's not really something I want you to draw your attention to. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're trying to tell a story and we're trying to find the best way to tell that story using all the tools we have um, and to guide that experience for for viewers so yeah it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, it's a i really enjoyed that myself i think it had a lot to the movie uh Thanks. seth uh uh you said you were on uh, set for three days uh how long mm-hmm. were how long were each of those days and what were some of the uh either like do you have any weird <laughs> stories about them or anything that was hard to film all right that i'm actually really glad you asked because there was one <laughs> that i wanted to um, that I wanted to mention when we were making the doc, and I, I neglected. It just didn't come up because we, like Mike, Mike said, we ended up talking about the themes of the film, which was, you know, obviously probably a little more important than our individual little reminiscences. But uh, so the first day that I shot uh, was one of the last scenes in the film. Um, it was a uh, it's it's a ritual ceremony between. Um, and it's, these are huge spoilers, but uh, between the two of the main characters. Um, and so essentially for me, what was, what was happening was I was being, uh, shouted at in French by, um, you know, um, partially nude actress I had just met, you know, right at that moment. So that was a, that was like mechanically what was happening. Um, but it was amazing that we, it was just all of those little things when you're, when you're doing it, you're not really thinking about it. You're just, you're just there. And we were there for, I think, I'm, I'm trying to think, I know that, um, we were we were going to wrap at 5 p.m. and I think I drove back to New Hampshire at 5 a.m. So it's kind of a long night, um, but it was amazing. Yeah, that first day. We, 
It was all like the first day. It's always funny because you're like, you're like, let's get that first day really smooth, and then the rest, everybody will feel great. It'll be good. And like everything went wrong the first day. Like the um, technical difficulties. The makeup. The because we had a lot of tattoo coverage. So I'm interrupting Seth's story. I'm sorry. You'll you'll we'll resume in a second. But um, we we obviously the character is in like a '70s style like medievalish vampire movie. He shouldn't have tattoos, so we had to airbrush over people's tattoos and um the first day the airbrush broke um and so we were trying to solve that and like stuff just was going it was going everything was going wrong i mean it was fine everybody was like in good spirits but everything kind of went wrong that first day and um i think everything after that was totally smooth and fine also pretty we much. scheduled a lot more time for makeup after that mm-hmm. like yeah. even just the normal makeup because you know it takes like 40 minutes to put a face on somebody <laughs> it's really weird mm-hmm. and the tattoos take like an hour each so you know, we kind of learned a lot on that first day about like when to call people, <laughs> in what order. Yeah. So poor Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. The next time I was there, there was the was that sixteen hour uh, yeah. uh, day, but we got. I feel like we got half of the movie shot that day. That's what. Yeah. So. Yeah. And those were scheduled um, for sixteen hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and that and that second day on on set. Um, you know, we were. I was. I was wearing a wool coat the whole day um, inside, and wasn't really thinking about. And you know, you never know kind of where things are going to be and how the schedule is going to move, and if you're going to need to be on. So you, you have to be ready the whole time. If you're, you know, it's it's ideal to be paying attention the whole time. So this wool coat on inside, like an eighty degree warehouse all day, and and uh, had completely neglected to drink water, and was basically falling over about to suffer heat stroke when um, Zach Pigeon, who's one of the best people on Earth, who plays um, Berwick in the film, uh, <laughs> just basically forced me to drink water and offered me his mother's couch to go and sleep on if I needed to recover. <laughs> so, I mean, like, nicest people you could ever work with. That, that was the second day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was most of it. We, we, got, we got a heck of a lot done those, those couple of days shooting in the Church of Bathor, right? So... Yeah, I think you mentioned. You guys got to have fun with outside. I think you mentioned on the documentary that you're like uh, kind of allergic to wool. Yeah, mildly. um, But I had, I had, I had literally used that as an example of something I was willing to do. I had, (laughs) I plucked that out and said, "I'll wear wool all day," which literally (laughs) happened. So. Is I, I went and I found the email actually. Like it, it just plays out <laughs> yeah, exactly how Seth describes it in the film because I went back and read the emails. I'm like, you'll be wearing one. Like it's like literally exactly what I wrote. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's exact. It is exactly. And I don't even think I was having an allergic reaction. It was just literally like if you don't drink any water all day. <laughs> and, well, it was and the end of August. The, you know. It was the end of yeah, August, yeah. so it was like 80 degrees, and we are in like this poorly air conditioned like giant warehouse room so it was definitely hot <laughs> not ideal you know all those suits are like polyester wool blends so i was wearing a short sleeve shirt yeah <laughs> i was wearing a tank top well a lot of that was actually a lot of that was on me because like i i'm thinking back i'm i feel like that frilly shirt was something that was optional that i was also in favor of there was a couple like the <laughs> that whole costume being as awful as it was to be in was all on me. Well, if you want to hear something gross, I had stuck all the shirts and suits in a giant plastic <laughs> bin, and one of our our assistant director that day t- 
took it home because it wouldn't fit in our car. And I went to pick it up like a week later and everything had started to mold and rot. <laughs> and so then I had to like wash it off, but it smelled. Because all the guys were wearing these wool things over these shirts and it smelled so bad. And I had to have like the suits we needed again. I had to get dry clean and I had to go do laundry with all the red shirts and like even after washing and dry cleaning they still like were rank it was disgusting (laughs) so don't let a bunch of sweaty dudes clothes (laughs) sit in plastic for a week that's the moral of that you know you need a costume person (laughs) it's also the moral like don't do all the jobs like get a costumer (laughs) or wardrobe person that has to deal with that yeah we had a very small crew um as as sophia says i mean part of it is that we we're really you know i i don't want want to say we're like we're paying people fair amounts of money but we're really kind of adamant about paying people at least something for you know for their time being part of the thing and um so we really couldn't afford very much of a crew um and so it really you know we did a lot of jobs on the on the thing yeah um on the big days like the day south was talking about we had a little bit of a bigger crew um but yeah it it was tough it was tough mm-hmm. uh, uh sophia yeah, it's a- oh, going Oh, I was just going to say it's amazing to watch these to watch these guys on set. This is, you know, these are the things that they will they would probably not say, but um, they are just they are both machines. Like it's it's in the best in the best sense of that word, not like that they're icy, you know, people emotionally, but they are really, really, really driven. I mean, they're just like every second they're just on it. I mean, it's they are just propelling through it on to the next thing. What's the next thing we have to do? What's the problem that has to be solved? Let's immediately proactively. I mean, it's just like, that was, that was what kept the momentum going. And I mean, I think it's that kind of thing that keeps everybody so locked in and makes everybody willing to, to be there all day as long as it takes and longer. I mean, I, I think, um, even when, when the, the, you know, they felt they had to stop to be fair to cast and crew. A lot of us would have just kept going because that's that was the atmosphere that they created with the way that they work so i just wanted to throw that in there <laughs> oh thanks yeah we don't sit down once you sit down you're losing it <laughs> no never sat never sat down keep moving keep moving yeah, yeah keep moving otherwise you're just <laughs> yep. you can sleep you can sleep after the movie's done yeah i always have long recoveries <laughs> after 12 16 hour days i need a few days to to rest <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> On the documentary, Sophia mentioned about like going around to find like uh, the different clothes in, in the movie. Uh, so wh- where where do you find like uh, uh, the dresses and the wool shirts and everything, wool jackets? Yeah, it's um. I really enjoy the costuming aspects of films because to me, like, it's part of the world building. So like, I get really obsessed with like what people are gonna wear. But um, it's really hard because everything we've done has been kind of vintage, um, especially ten in this film so you know i went to the garment district a lot that's probably my favorite place place, even though i feel like they kind of raised their prices recently (laughs) but regardless you can can get decent (laughs) stuff there Uh and um so i went to the garment district a lot i found all the blue suits at the garment district they had like bought out another costume shops like uh, um inventory so like the twin dresses there were two of them which was really great those like band dresses the twins wore Mm -hmm. so um definitely a lot came from there but then you know mary widow had her own dress for it of course (laughs) so then I I went on a search for Chloe's dress which I got on Etsy so it's just like searching like the different styles like like 70s prairie dress gun sacks like going through Etsy I had everybody's measurements you know so it's like reading the measurements online buying the having them over to try it on make sure it fits 
weeks. And then I happened to be in LA for a week before the shooting. And I like bought a bunch of stuff here, you know? And so it was just like going to every vintage store I could find, trying to like, you know, match that to the people's measurements and sizes and like what look they needed, like the Nephites were in white, you know, it was just like, it was a huge task because this was also the biggest crew I've worked with, you know? And so having like, biggest cast, the, yeah, the biggest cast, sorry, that I've worked with. So even the men, like I bought all these jackets, like just sight unseen, like just, you know, and so we only had one small jacket and like for some of the scenes we had like one that looked kind of like it for the other smaller people. And we had to like trade around the picture jacket <laughs> to like the different guys that were like a 36 yeah. and it was just like stupid stuff like that like then they were standing up front they had to wear this jacket and like later we could put them in the back a little bit and they had a different blue jacket on yeah, yeah i think four of the guys wore the same we had one jacket for like four people yeah three or four people and so we you know whenever they're it's like hugh warren jake, jake yeah i forget but they all basically like if you see them in close-up they're wearing the one the one jacket yeah. that fits them all yeah. <laughs> and then like the tuxedo shirt like we um we went to key and we like kind of fell in love with the idea of a tuxedo shirt for them but they only had them in like light blue and white and so and they were really cheap there and uh so i was like oh we just have to do the the light blue like you know even though we wanted red and then later we're like oh fuck it we need to get the red shirts but they were like 60 dollars each and there's like 10 guys and so like spent like 600 bucks on just this red tuxedo shirt but if to me it's like those things that end up on screen is where the money should go you know and because that's what makes the film you know so <laughs> if that means they have to eat pizza <laughs> we're gonna get six hundred dollars worth of red tuxedo shirts you know so it's just like stupid stuff like that and um you know like uh, seth's jacket was like two hundred dollars it was ridiculous but it was really cool you know it was like the coolest jacket i could find and we got that at like bobby's of boston you know so it just went at all over the earth for this stuff but you have to with vintage clothes i mean you have to search high and low mm-hmm. seth did you keep that jacket Oh God, I did. Um, I'm very thankful, uh, especially hearing about the value of it. Yeah, no, it's um, <laughs> it's going up. Yeah, on I actually day. I have a little I have kind of a little nerd cave where I've got all of the, the stuff from different things that I've done and you know things that we've supported that other people have done and the jacket is literally hanging on that wall in its own little sort of nerd spot. I don't know if that's, maybe that's an overshare, but it's, it's happening. It's there. So, yeah. I think that's cool. How about, Yikes. Sof- how about Sophia and Michael? Do you guys uh, keep stuff from the different movies? We did. We, you know, we recently moved to Los Angeles, so we had to, um, that's probably the reason why everybody kind of got to keep their costumes from Trivis. It was like, all right, guys, we got to clear out uh-huh. all this stuff when we moved. So, um, so we gave a lot of the actors their, their costume pieces, but, I still have stuff from 10. I have stuff from this film. I have some of the red shirts still. I like, especially when we were living in Boston, we kept so many props and I would collect things as future props, like any weird electronics Mm -hmm. from the (laughs) eighties. Like I would just have a room of tons and tons of mannequins. So we gave away a lot of that stuff, but we still have some of it in storage back in Boston. But um, I like to keep it because I reuse stuff constantly. Like the candelabras I brought with me to LA because I'm like, I'm going to use these. I know I am. I've already used them (laughs) since the movie, you know? So um, we also give away a lot of the props, like the crossbows and the stakes and yeah, some of the something X-pins. else. Oh, the, the whips and the X-pins. They all ended up being like Kickstarter rewards. So we sent them to people who had backed the movie on Kickstarter. Um, so a lot of that stuff, you know, that's a good way to get rid of it because it goes to somebody who's like excited, excited about it. Yeah. And, and Now, how, how do you go about making the crossbow? Was it something you bought as is or did you create them? 
Yeah, we just bought it. Yeah. I think we painted the bows. I don't know if we even did much. Yeah, the arrows. We painted the arrows. Yeah, the arrows, yeah. The crossbows are basically like just... They're just like a cheap child's toy. They're, <laughs> they're pretty goofy. They could look better, let's be honest. But <laughs> They work. They're but right. the stakes, actually, the stakes I bought at an antique store in western New York, because um, we were looking for stuff that looked old, like old wood. And I think they're like used in like leather... Um, yeah, beating or like, stretching. Like uh, stretching leather. Yeah, they're like stretch leather stretching pieces of old wood. But yeah, so I bought those at like an antique store. It's like random. I was like, this is steaky. Yeah. <laughs> when you first start saying that, I thought like they actually had like vampire steaks at like this old uh no, no. store. <laughs> Come on down to the real, steak real vampire steak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like a van housing store. Yeah. Exactly. Now how, how do you see your other uh your other films, Magnetic and Ten? Oh, they're all on um they're all out in they're all on amazon and vimeo and stuff and they're out on dvd as well yeah. um so if you go to our, our main our production company is called launch over if you go to launchover.com there are links to all the movies um if you go to either of our web pages which are just our names michaeljabstein.com or sophiacassiola.com you can find them um but they're all they're all out there yeah if you just search you can you can see them and um they're pretty i think all three films are pretty they're pretty different from one another is that a oh, fair yeah. thing especially magnetic is kind of the odd one out and i'm really proud of magnetic because it's, it's a sci-fi film like but very low budget but we spent a lot of budget on props and um time machines and things and it's one person who kind of sees the world end at the end of every week and gets sent back a week and deals with alternate versions of themselves and um so it's a very weird movie and it's very blue <laughs> it's, it's a very bleak slow movie so. yeah a lot of music like a lot of the, you know we did that on purpose we kind of made it like a series of music videos especially in the beginning before the story really like gets moving and a lot of people on amazon complain that it's like a long music video but, but i think that's cool you know that's what we tried to do with it but it's a lot of electro pop um where like the lyrics are actually really important to what's going on and uh so i think magnetic's the one that's like a little bit different because it's not horror i mean it has some like horror elements i guess but it's just more straight sci-fi it's like hard sci-fi Mm-hmm. Yeah, too hard for most people. Too hard, too cerebral. Too too weird. And uh, no, it's, I mean, it's about like what consciousness is and what the point of human existence is, and you know, yeah. like, it's really heavy film um, with cool music. And then you know, ten is kind of a take on an Agatha Christie thing. Like it's it starts out kind of as a whodunit of like you know, ten people are in a house and they're dying, and you know, it has some crazy twists and turns that are maybe a little too crazy, mm-hmm. and um, very also very weird movie, you know. So. We like making these kind of niche films. Like we kind of go after, you know, like this one, we're going to do a seventies vampire film. And this one, we're going to do like a murder mystery, you know, this one, we're going to do like a weird sci-fi thing. So it's like, we kind of just pick the genre and the thing that we want to do and just go for it. And, you know, cause we're making movies for very little money. Um, so we sort of feel like we have a responsibility to, to art, <laughs> you know, to, to make something that's really like has our own, has our voice. Um, and, and is unique and is not like the same movie that you would see if you watched um, there's a lot of cookie cutter stuff out there and so it, you know whether whether you like or don't like what we're doing at least at least I hope it comes off as different from other, other things that's the goal you know yeah. what, whether whether it's good or not I can't really say but like at least the goal I think the, the first thing we must achieve is that it's like it has its own voice and that it's unique and and even though it's it, it, and this film is very much an homage to other films I think it's still as 
pretty unique in that space and pretty different. Well, and we from- tried to update it. You know, it's like I love these films, but a lot of them are misogynistic and sexist and, you know, very male gazy and you know, so I love them despite like a lot of the problems I have with them and a lot of the problems of just the time period and what was expected um, for them to do in films. And so it was like kind of an opportunity to be like, all right, here's this film, but like, let's make it not so sexist <laughs> this time, uh-huh. you know, or like we're trying to do similar things. And, you know, even those films had a lot of uh, different things to say that were cool. It's just like, but it's like all riddled up with like all this problematic stuff. So it's kind of a cool opportunity to bring it into this century of, of gender expression. <laughs> well, as someone who sees a lot of uh, uh, screeners for the, for the show here, and there's a lot of them, I wonder, like, why anyone, you know, made, made this and why do I have to right. watch it? But, <laughs> yeah. So when something is, like, interesting or original or has something to say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's exciting and it's, you know, I like to talk about it on the show and get people to watch it. You know, yeah. yeah. And not just because I know you guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny, too, because I get really upset at indie filmmakers who fall back on those same sexist tropes. It's like, guys, you have an opportunity to make it not so shitty anymore. Like, you can do whatever the fuck you want, and you're still making the shit that was offensive in the 80s, you know? And it's like, I give a lot of leeway to 80s films because that was the the climate at that time. Time, but now there's no excuse like you need to pull yourself into this world yeah. where that's not acceptable and like and maybe play with it you know like especially in horror film, you have a lot of opportunity to do whatever the hell you want because you create the world so i think it's important for indie filmmakers to lead that and it'll trickle up yeah there's also the danger i mean you know we're making movies for for 20 grand there's the danger of trying to make a, if we have twenty thousand dollars and we try to make a, a 30 million dollar movie like we're gonna fail <laughs> You know, like it's not going to work. So um, I think there's a danger of trying to compete, be like, oh, these movies are, you know, successful or like people like this. So I'm going to try to compete and do the same thing. And you're just never going to be able to do it. So you have to find a way to tell the story that you want um, in that unique voice and, you know, in your unique way, given the resources that that you have. And um, so that's what we're trying, you know, that's what you are always trying to do. And again, whether it succeeds or not, that's our, that's that's what we're going for, at least. (laughs) Right. Uh, Seth, uh, how do people find uh, some of the other movies? Um, uh, let's see. Well, you can find uh, the first um, film that I, wor- I was a production designer on and I had a small role in was called Girlfriend. Uh, it was made in 2010. Uh, and that is, I actually think that is possibly still on Amazon and maybe on Hulu at this point. Um, it's bounced back and forth between those two. Uh, the one that uh, Sophia saw that inspired her to use me as Grando is unfortunately not uh, in circulation. It it just it's just one of those. It's the reality of making independent films. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't get a distribution deal, or it's the person who's making it doesn't follow through, or whatever it is that happens. But that one unfortunately um, isn't available. There's another one um, that um, is just about to hopefully. Uh, start popping up in festivals, and I'm not sure if I can really talk about it yet. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so basically, so you yeah, you can see Blood girlfriend, you can see Blood of the Trippets. So, yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> yeah, that's that's where it's at. And if you want to see another one, you can watch Blood of the Trippets again. <laughs> yeah, you should probably just watch Blood of the Trippets repeatedly, and then watch the doc, um, and then just kind of bounce back and forth right. between those right. two, and that'll take you through. That's yeah. yeah, and then eventually, when the Blu-ray's out, you can watch it with the commentary on. That's still, right. Which everyone space. should obviously do as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is it still playing at any festivals? 
No, it's wrapped up its run at this point. Um, so yeah, it premiered last March at Boston Underground, and we went to like 25 fests with it um, all, all over the world. Like it, it played at like a vampire festival in Transylvania, which we unfortunately wild. couldn't go to. Yeah. Um, yeah. It played at Starburst in Manchester, England, yeah. England and uh, we went to Gen Con with it. So it, it had quite a good run. And yeah. um, it played in the Netherlands, in Austria, um, yeah. all around the U.S. Yeah. too. I mean, I guess the U.S. matters also, but no. Um, yeah, we had great screenings in Buffalo. Um, Buffalo Fantastic Film Festival was really good to us. And uh, so it, it did really, it did the best of any of our films so far as far as its festival run. Um, and they we were get, pretty happy with People that. were nice and they sometimes gave us awards for things. They were like, we will give you this award. Um, so that was nice. You know, it's, it's always good to get like, to have somebody hand you a certificate or something. <laughs> it feels nice. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like you did a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. So no, it did well. It did well. We got a great. The thing to me that matters the most is like when we go to these festivals that people like ask questions after. Honestly, like I, I, I don't even want, care if they liked it or not. I care that they have like things that they, um, they want to know more about it or they want you know like it, it sparks something in their head that gets them to think about something or ask about something. I think that's really fun to, to have that. We've experience. also had like more than one festival person like tell us that they really had to go to bat for the film and make sure it was, it was programmed because, you know, other people didn't get it or didn't like, you know, they mm-hmm. were offended by the penises or something, but there was like one person were like, no, this, you have to program this movie. And so like that happened at a couple of festivals and that was like warmed my heart. I was like, wow, a person really went and advocated for this film. So it's, that's, you know, really great to hear too. It's apparently divisive. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> Which is good. I think I think art should be divisive, you know. But it what? just was really special that like people act like the people that got it and liked it like went to bat for it. One of the one of the reviews we got of it was a guy. He wouldn't say what festival it was, but he said like he loved the movie and was was fighting for it at the festival. And like there was somebody else was like really offended by it and didn't <laughs> want it to play. <laughs> so to us, that's a success, you know. Like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know in England it was very con- like it had like its own um, lore. Of- about it was very controversial at Starburst, I think. There was actually a fight, I think, over it. They didn't, yeah. they didn't quite tell us. But... They didn't quite tell us, but all the other people that write for Starburst were like, oh, yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> so it was, it was very funny. It was a clash of somebody who loved it and somebody who hated it. So Yeah. Is that surprising at all that someone who runs like a festival or has input would be like offended by Because you think they would see a lot of... Uh... You know, weird or you know, d- uh, different movies. You would, would, be you kind would of think that. You would think that, but you just never know what's going to rub somebody the wrong way. You know, like I have my things that. I'm... Yeah, horror. I mean, as you probably know, because you know, you you go to conventions. There's so many and different stuff. types of it too. So many yeah. different kinds of people love horror, and they like so many different types of things, and there's so many different styles of horror, and people have fights about like what the best horror is, or whether things are actually horror, yeah. or, like you know, there's all. There's a whole kind of kind of world around it, and I think like you know some of the festivals. Well, also like if you've never seen a Hammer horror film or you've never seen a genre long film, like this might come out of really nowhere for you, and it's not a typical vampire film from like the '90s. It's not Interview with a Vampire, you know. It's not Anne Rice. It's not Twilight. So it's very much a throwback to a very niche thing that like maybe you have to be a certain age or you really had to have dug it out to even have any exposure to what our influences are so you know i think like maybe that kind of like stopped it a little bit or like was some of the uh, the opposition to 
is like they just didn't get it, you know, because <laughs> it's like a yeah. very specific thing that like uh-huh. if you know it, you're like, all right, cool. And if you don't, you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> right. But at the same time, that helped because then people recognize that, that and they're like, oh, I love these films. And I'm really excited that somebody has made a, a current version of that. Yeah. Um, it was it was funny because um, the guy who programs the Buffalo Dreams Fantastic where we played, which was, was a great it's a great festival for anybody who's looking for a great festival. Um he had posted on Facebook that he was watching this like really authentic uh, lesbian vampire film, and um, I, I didn't know him at the time. And somebody who I knew tagged me on the on the thing on his post and was like, "Oh, you should submit your film here." And I'm like, "I'm pretty sure he's talking about our film." Yeah. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure that's not another film that he's describing this this way. And it turned out he was talking about her and you know did like it and program it. But but it was just sort of funny because I think people were like, oh cool, other people are. And I'm like, no, no, nobody else is. No, not right now. Nobody. (laughs) You've started a trend. I like this. I hope so. I'd be happy if it's a trend. I mean, it's a very. I mean, it's a niche thing. Like so, you know, we don't. We kind of expect like. I guess the way I see it is I'd rather make a movie that that ten percent of people love than a movie that that fifty percent of people think is is so so or yeah. something. You know, mm-hmm. like I'd rather it really speaks to a small number of people than that. Like a lot of people think it's fine. Mm-hmm. So I think that's you know in a way that's our goal with it is to like really make something that that we we did our best to pay tribute to something that a lot of that that a small number of people love and care about and are gonna hopefully enjoy what we've done, how we've, you know, crafted it. and Maybe one of the coolest things, too, is we've introduced a lot of people to these movies, yeah, you know, because uh-huh. not that they're uh-huh. lost, but they're, like, not, like, they're kind of, it's a thing I stumbled onto, like, um, um, I, I just love watching old movies, and I kind of stumbled onto some of the Ingrid Pitt Hammer Horror films and just fell in love with it. So it's like, you know, like, we just kind of, like, post through the list everywhere like on our kickstarter and, and in our materials of like here's the movies that influenced this movie and i know a ton of people who have just been like watched that whole list and now they're on board with with it so mm. um so that was really cool you know just mm. be the thing that inspires other people to go backwards which also i mean it also tells you how important like all these companies who are doing reissues or re-releases of stuff that's out of print mm-hmm. because like all the Roland and franco films were i had i had only seen i'm trying to think i had seen like vampiris lesbo was in college and I had seen maybe like Living Dead Girl. I'd seen maybe only one Roland film. And um, then Redemption got the rights and put them all out again, like re-released them all and put them all on like Netflix and Amazon and stuff. And so I just plowed through only a few years ago at this point, you know, when they when they reissued them all, which is like within the last five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so if Redemption hadn't, you know, basically like decided they were going to grab all this stuff and put it out for a niche audience, um, that we wouldn't have made this film, you know, so they don't. In a way, they're responsible. Those people, those like whoever is the, the producers at Redemption are, are responsible for for like giving us the opportunity to see that stuff and to inspire us to want to make something, you know, in that kind of world. Oh, that's where you guys caught like the Hammer stuff. Well, the Hammer stuff I had seen as a kid. Yeah. More. And the Hammer okay. stuff is a little bit more yeah. accessible, I think. It is, yep. is though. It was also not in really in print as much. The Hammer Hammer stuff I had seen more, but it also was more uh, promoted recently. You know, it was put on like I rewatched a lot of it recently. Um, because they had done both theatrical, like they had done pushes to to get theatrical re-releases, like or, or you know art houses showing it theatrically, and then um, it was on like Amazon and, and Netflix, and so that was an opportunity. I'm like, oh, all these Hammer films are on Netflix. I'm just going to sit and like watch them all in one day. Um, and I'd seen a lot of them as a kid, but it had been a while for for you know, most of them, and some of them I hadn't seen. So. Um, so yeah, so you know, a lot of that. It's really interesting how much and the Jess Franco stuff was like nobody had ever seen any of it in the U.S. Right. 
I think, really. Um, it was like on bootlegs of, you know, I'd, I'd seen like a VHS crappy transfer of Emperor's Lesbos in college um, that a friend had or something. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Nobody, nobody from Redemption is probably listening, but I, I want to give sort of a shout out to all those, not, not, not just Redemption, but like Severin and all those other, you know, there's so many, Scream Factory, all those um, companies that are putting out old movies that are like, that I loved, you know, I either loved as a kid on VHS or never got a chance to see as a kid yeah. um, and now really enjoy mm-hmm. having the opportunity to watch. And like they'll do theatricals on them. Like we, I think you, you maybe, Neil, you saw pieces in the theater as well when it was, they did the re-release of it. Um, they did like the new Prince of Pieces. Yeah. Um, and it was so cool to see that movie like again, you know, the, this movie I'd seen on VHS is like a, in like fourth grade. <laughs> if somebody's not putting these movies online, then they're pretty much gone, mm-hmm. you know, at this point. Because there's no video stores. Like I, when I was growing up, I would just go to the video store and rent every weird movie I could find. So like, that you don't have that browsing and discovery yeah. that you did back then where you see a physical thing. You're like, all right, that looks cool. The cover looks cool or whatever. So it's like if they're not online, they're gone. Yeah. And a lot of it's not out on Blu-ray or like not out on DVD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Arrow's a good one too that puts out oh, a lot of uh, Arrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't mean to neglect anyone. There, no, there's, just, there's probably twenty companies doing stuff like that. So I didn't mean, I didn't mean to limit. But Arrow is definitely on the high on that list as well. At awesome uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what kind of movies? What kind of horror movies do you guys like? It seems uh, kind of all over the place. <laughs> it is kind of it all over the place. Is. Yeah. I think like we both really like older horror films. Like you know, I love Hitchcock. I love like. The, the suspense of, of Hitchcock films. I love The Shining, you know, mm-hmm. like the classic horror stuff. Um, and we love so, Phantasm, as you know. Oh, yeah. That's a big yeah, one for Phantasm. us. That's one of our favorites. Um, I think we like, like, art house stuff. I love the 80s. I can't, I can't ever not love, like, all the 80s horror that I grew up on. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street still all, like, really stand up for me. Like, I really love all those films. Um, I love, like, all the John Carpenter films. Yeah. Um, we love. I think we love a lot of the new, the newer indie stuff. We love a lot of the kind of more artsy indie stuff that's a little more weird and a little more thematic than it is. Um, I don't know, whatever. Like we really love Starry Eyes. It was a few years ago, and what was recent this year? I'm trying to remember. Well, Dare Samurai we loved. Mm-hmm. Um, the invitation. The invitation cool. was cool. It's a bunch we haven't seen. I'm trying to remember what what, what I've seen this year, re- really recently. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so we like a lot of the weirder, you know, we like a lot of the weirder art house horror. Um, we like a lot of 70s stuff. I love watching like the British 70s, like cult satanic horror and like the witch horror and the, um, all that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like the the Brits in the 70s really hit a stride with, with strange, <laughs> strange things, you know, so. Yeah, it was the best time for like uh drive-in, uh, films. Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of stuff yeah. I think. Yeah, I just like films that like allow themselves to have a little breathing space and like let it have a slow build. Where it's like, I think like in the '90s and more recently, it's just like it has to be like you know a kill every minute and just action and boobs and kills. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, when there's more suspense, like and it's slow and weird. Like I love that you can really inhabit the world it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Seth, are you a horror movie fan? Yeah, I mean it's um, I've I've been on and off with it throughout. Uh, my life, but um, definitely when I was younger, like, and Mike, Mike and I had talked a lot about some, some particular different uh, weird films we liked and stuff, and he actually got me um, into Phantasm, which I'd never been able to really access before, and I just kind of blazed through that. 
whole series um, after making this and after talking to him about his love for that. And I, I totally understand that. Um, and for, for me, a huge one um, was Nightbreed, a lot of the like Clive Barkery uh, stuff, Hellraiser, all those, all those mm-hmm. things. Um, and then at a, at a younger age, even uh, there was a um, growing up in the Boston area, there was um, what I can't remember which channel was it channel 38 or 56 with um, creature double feature. But every every Saturday they would do two and they were usually really over the top kind of exploitation <laughs> films. They're either some kind of Godzilla movie or they were um, there was one like squirm with all the worms. Oh, there yeah. Was, uh, you know, I saw Blackula um, on creature double feature. <laughs> as a what it's real kind of uh, intense exploitation vampire film. Um, just kind of grew up with all that, all that stuff. So that, that, you know, also was kind of informative on doing this when you, when you've kind of grown up watching all of this weird camp. And like Mike said, going to the movie, going to the movie store when that was a thing, um, digging through VHS and these big clamshell boxes with these really intense, you know, crazy fucked up, uh, monster gory images on them. And you just be fascinated what's going to be inside here. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember Troy Witcher that channel that was on Creature it Double? It was thirty eight. Thirty eight. Right. Yeah. Yep. Nice. There it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up on that I jazz. <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah. grew up with all the Universal monsters too. Like that was my big <laughs> thing when I was a little little kid, like in elementary yeah. school. I got cr- crazy obsessed. I don't know why, but our library in my elementary school had all these books on the Universal monster movies, oh, and so I just gone. got crazy obsessed with like taking all those out and like reading the. Re- in the fly book and then watching all those movies and like that was my that was the, my downfall I think that's where I started I started this this terrible downward slope into into depravity <laughs> I just rented every black and white film from my library uh, I think like to this day like I'm terrified to watch Cries and Whispers again because I watched that uh, like the Bergman film yeah, yeah the Bergman film because I think oh, it was yeah. like the scariest movie I've ever seen <laughs> and I watched it with my mom and sister which is even creepier if you know the the film uh um, so yeah, you know, I always like to go back to the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember t- uh, taping all the Universal monster movies on VHS tape when I was a kid. And it show them late at <laughs> yeah, night and, uh, and now but it's I love, kind of pointless. I grew up on Trauma. You know, I mean, we oh, yeah. we definitely a lot of Roger like, Corman. We, I watched tons of Roger Corman, tons of yeah. Trauma, tons of like, like just weird. You know, it was really like go down the VHS aisle in the horror section, and the and and the store near me had like a weird movie section, and that was like. The, you know the gold mine of like uh god knows what i mean you know some of the some of my favorites from that like i first off forbidden zone in that you know the uh the um oingo boingo the richard yeah. elfman movie oh, yeah. and um i first saw like they had these weird like dubs when uh, rhino was like taking old movies and like redubbing them like they had a rock and roll wrestling women versus the <laughs> um and just weird just weird weird stuff and that like you know you see that stuff and it was always made for like three dollars but i felt like people they cared about a lot of them cared uh, yeah, about what they were agree, making yeah. and so you could see the heart in it it's like the edward thing right like it's obvious he's not a good filmmaker but he also was like definitely dedicated to what he was doing you know whether whether it's good or not he like cared about it and um i felt, felt like there was something very uh there's something special about that like about not having resources and just trying to make like figure out how to make the best thing you can um i like watching films that have that spirit yeah and i think there's a difference between that and uh if a, a current movie that's uh like 
made to be schlocky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I fucking hate that. Mm, I <laughs> you got me all passionate. When people try to make a cult B movie, yeah. it's so offensive because, like, you can tell when the actors just think it's a joke or whatever. Like, I want everybody involved has to be full, and you can see it in the Hammer films too. It's like everybody is fully invested oh, in trying always. to make the best possible thing they can. And it's not like silly, you know, let the audience find it silly after the fact. But when you're making it, you have to be invested in making it the best thing you can. Mm -hmm. And then like, yeah, you get a lot of weird black humor that way. But like you can't set out with that goal because then it's going to be shit. And I hate movies that do that. (laughs) But that's the thing. I mean, you look at all those British films. Yeah, you look at all the like Vincent Price and Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. They're good actors. Like they're good actors. And they they know they know what they're doing. Like they know they're in a goofy movie. But like, you know, like uh, Dr. Fibes uh, is is one of my favorite movies. Well, the second one is pretty good, too. But the first the first Fibes movie is like one of my favorite movies ever. And um, it's just like it's so over the top and silly in a lot of ways. But it's so fun. And like the actors are like, we're having fun doing this. But we're also like really dedicated to delivering the things that we need to deliver. Like we're really dedicated to making this like living in this world. That's, that's a little tongue in cheek, but also, you know, they, they care about it. It wasn't like they were just phoning it in. Um, and then, you know, something like now I can't watch any of the like Sharknado stuff. Like, I don't, I don't want to see that. Um, I'm not interested in that. I mean, it's fine. And I'm sure they're making a lot of money and good for them, but like, I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. I actually agree a hundred percent. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most all that stuff. It's when you can tell that like they're kind of in on the joke. It, it's no, it's not really fun to watch for me. Anyway. Right. It's just like they're hamming it up to the camera or like <laughs> hamming up the dumb lines and stuff. And yeah. it's like, ugh. They're just counting their money on the on the way out yeah. the you know in front of the camera practically. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, how can you find all of you guys online? Michael and I are very active on Facebook, especially, so come and add us. And, um, you know, SophiaCassiola.com, C-A-C-C-I-O-L-A, MichaelJEpstein.com. Our production company is called LaunchOver, so it's LaunchOver.com. All the movies have their own websites. We're on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, definitely come find us. We're very talkative. Mm. <laughs> we like, yeah, we you like- guys can friend me on Facebook as well. I'm, I'll probably accept your friendship. what were you saying michael oh i was gonna say it's a very very generous offer seth here (laughs) i'll probably anytime man anytime (laughs) um we have a lot of controversial topics we like to make trouble yeah so we'll argue with you too and once in a while i'll block somebody (laughs) only if they're right and and do it in all caps too which is yeah uh, yeah um, but yeah, so the movie Blood of the Trippets is out on Amazon and Vimeo and stuff, and it'll be out on other platforms later. It'll be out on, on Blu-ray, and if you, like I said, I can't specifically tell you, but if you are a Horror Pack subscriber and you happen to subscribe in March and you happen to be interested in Blood of the Trippets, you probably will be happy. Um, and uh, the doc, which is called The Blood is the Life, is on Vimeo currently. It's on our website if you go there, and it should be on Amazon like any minute, essentially. I'm just waiting for them to make the final, like, approval on it so that, that could take you know days or or yeah. not depending on how they feel at the time and, hopefully it won't be relegated to the mature section <laughs> and uh and if you're not a member of horror pack if you do so through without your head through the link on our website we get a little bit back through that so uh, cool yeah yeah, yeah. That's a good way to do it do it do it yeah. share the link i mean those are good they're good guys i don't know if you know the guys who run that but they're they're um 
Yeah. They're indie filmmakers. They're indie filmmakers. Really cool. Yeah. They, um, Chris Etheridge is a, f- a friend of mine who I met. He's one of the guys who runs it. He, um, I met him at a uh, film festival two or three years, three years ago, three years ago. And uh, he made a, a cool movie called Attack of the Morningside Monster. So you can check that out too. And he just finished his, his um, follow-up film, which I blank in on the name of, but it's not out yet anyway. So, but he's a good guy. And um, he's, made, he's doing Horror Pack for the right reasons, really, to like help get indie films out there and to help keep physical media alive a little bit and, mm-hmm. and all that. So I think you know, it's, really, it's really a worthwhile endeavor. So if you're looking for something to support, that's definitely – it's a good thing to support. You know, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a bunch of like guys swimming – in, uh, in in vaults full of gold coins or anything. It's like really people who care, care about film. So uh, yeah, yeah. I know Dana who uh, uh, she does something with. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Who uh, it was always one. I always uh, quote this. Uh, we were at a, a uh, convention together, and someone was going to interview the next day, and they were just like, "I'm going to introduce you as you know female director." Or, uh, Dana, and she's like, "Well." Uh, would you introduce, you know, like, let's say just Mike Lipstein, would you introduce him as, you know, male, male director? Right. Mike Lipstein, like, no, it's like, no, why would you direct, why would you introduce me as female director? I mean, right, right. It sounds bizarre and they're going to know I'm a female. I also just hate the word female, like Uh, when people use it, it's like, it's just so like base, like it's just like right to the genitalia, you know, and people be like, where are the females at or whatever. It's just like, people were saying that on a set I was on and then I just started calling everybody males, like, hey, male. (laughs) It's just like, it makes people like think like, wait, why do I say that? Because it's really kind of fucking weird. Right. We, so like, you gotta throw male back at people when they say yeah. female. We yeah. joke. We joke a lot about bands. We call them male. We call like every band a male fronted band. And it's like whenever we're, we're like, oh yeah, Radiohead, they're a pretty cool male fronted band. <laughs> like, you know, it's like a weird double standard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we just say everything. We we like use male fronted for everything just to be silly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once they say Dana and you hear her talk, you're gonna you know you're gonna know you'll, that. You'll get it. it. You'll get figure it. it out. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. It all comes together. So, uh, Blood of the Tribbids. I, I had a great time watching it, and uh, especially when I didn't have to hide when I was in the rehab. From, from <laughs> yeah. I think that 93-year-old guy might have liked it. He might yeah, have. Next time, share with him, Neil. Yeah. Yeah. We, we actually, I mean, uh, you know, not, not to hold you forever here, but um, we, we actually, like, I sh- I'm going to point out a couple things, because Seth is still here, right? Yeah. Um, I'm still he said here. Woo. He loves Nightbreed. Nightbreed is, like, one of his favorite movies mm-hmm. when we played in maine at the samford yeah, yeah. national <laughs> Film festival uh we played right before nightbreed really? we played immediately oh. before nightbreed and and bobby the the female lead no i'm just kidding <laughs> one of the leads in nightbreed was there in attendance at the uh, screening and oh uh and seemed to really love blood of the tribbids and asked all these questions and it was, it was, it was like was, before i knew who she was i was like who is this lady that keeps asking all these questions it's <laughs> true, it's true. and i i was looking at her I thought she was someone I knew. I'm like, did she come up here from where I live? Like, she's so familiar. Why, why do I? And, of course, I, I had to leave because, I, I, I don't know, I was traveling differently, separately from these guys. And I left and then heard about how. And Bobby hung out with everyone later and bought everyone drinks and told everybody how great they were. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I stared at her face for, you know, infinite hours as a kid just rewatching Nightbreed on VHS. Uh, right. So that was very cool. But the reason I brought up Maine also is because, you know, we're, we're joking about 93-year-old people watching it. But, like, the audience there was, like, a much older audience a lot. It was, like, high school kids and mm-hmm. then, like, 60-year-olds. And I was really scared I was like really, really afraid. You know, you look, you, you go to a, you're at a fest and you look at the room and you're like, 
these people aren't going to want to see this movie. Like they're not going to they're not going to watch this movie. And so you get to the end and you're kind of like you're, you're you're holding your breath like are people going to be like what is wrong with you sickos? Like what is wrong with you weird <laughs> weird people? And um instead they were all like can we get signed posters? Can we get like all the everybody there was like <laughs> So it was it was uh it was quite nice. So you know people of re- people of all ages and 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 yeah, that's surprising. Background seem to seem to um find something to like about it sometimes. So yeah. we're we're happy. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Oh, I wanted to ask you something because uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, uh renting movies at the VHS VHS store which I did too. But uh did your parents mind you uh watching like uh, R-rated or, or weird horror movies? I definitely wasn't allowed to watch them. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think I wasn't allowed to watch R movies until I was like 16 officially. But I think by about age 12, uh, all I did was hang out with my friends and watch, you know, watch horror. <laughs> I'm, hi, mom, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> um, no, I used to. I, I don't know. I used to. It started. I like. I went to like friends' birthday parties and weird gatherings, and we would. They would always rent. Like I remember. I think that one of the first. I think the first R rated movie I saw like at a friend's place was House. You know the movie House? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I saw House and then I think you know one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Um and then from there it was just all downhill. I was like, I like these weird movies. I'm ready, you know, I can do this. Um and then my one of my friends and I we just I mean the video store would just rent them to us. They didn't seem to right, like right. they weren't they weren't like you're 13, you can't watch like you know Massacre Bloodbath 5. Like you can you can that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I think I just didn't have a ton of oversight because I was the youngest and like just kind of on my own, like in my room with like my little black and white TV. But I do remember once I rented Dr. Strangelove and I hid it from my parents because I thought based on the title, it was going to be like really raunchy. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is very different than what I thought it was going to be. But, um, but yeah, same. I would just write, rent every weirdo movie, especially sci-fi, which isn't as probably gory. I was more like into action sci-fi at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Did you did you have that experience as well? Me? No, yeah. I I could watch anything. And uh, Troy here's my older brother. He's nine years older and uh, a single mom. She would take Troy and his friends to the drive-in uh, instead of you know get a babysitter. Whatever, bring me along. So I was watching when I was like five or six years old at the drive-ins. Yeah, you were like <laughs> women in prison movies. <laughs> But I always, I always remember, because uh, I heard the story many times, was uh went to see Night of the Living Dead. I think I was like six. And like I, I started to cry when the when the car blows up and the zombies uh-huh. are eating everybody. And she's like, ah, oh, they're just having a barbecue. And then, like, oh, okay. You were probably four, I think. I, yeah, because I was like 12. So you were you were just a wee lad. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this is and this is why we all turned out how we did. Yeah. Yeah, we're all totally fine. Uh-huh. That's the problem. <laughs> I remember she had to sign something at the the one video store. I don't think care they would never even ask. But the one video store she actually had to sign something where it was okay if I rented uh, R-rated movies. Wow, yeah. that's cool. And then were you? allowed at that point to go in any time and rent them is that the idea yeah or you, yeah like, yeah she didn't have like a permission it. slip right yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. i still yeah, I don't I think to, you can uh, work at one of these video stores and you had like a per, you had like a parental permission little notation on the account on one of those old you know sort of mac green screens <laughs> oh yeah yep. yeah it was, a, it was a really cool store as you know uh small town and like they'd have little things like if you brought in your report card and 
you could get a free movie if you got like an A on whatever. And you know, they told a joke. Or yeah, something they had jokes. They had a whole day. calendar yeah. with different things. They used to give us. Um, my, my friend and I would go to this video store so much that they would give us all the like the promo posters and stuff for like oh, weird. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. I had like I had like really you know whatever. I mean it was it was stuff that like I don't think they would have given us like the popular movies, but it was like the <laughs> yeah. you know. I had like a Tracy Lord's Not of This Earth poster in my room for a while. It's weird, like weird, weird, like um, like B movies and horror movies. They just they basically like, oh, you guys seem to rent all these. We've got this pile of crap in the back. Like here, take take some of it and yeah, enjoy. Yeah. So yeah, so we got quite a lot of that. It was it was pretty fun. Yeah, they did that at this one too. They just had them out in the front and like they just had like a box and they would they'd be filled with all the posters. Anyone could take them. But I'd always go in and look for, like, weird horror movies or something. Yeah. But most of them would be, you know, like, some romantic comedy or something. Like, I don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want the When Harry Met Sally poster? <laughs> no. No. I probably could sell it now, but at the time, I was like, eh. <laughs> Well, I want to thank everyone for coming on. It's been awesome. Yeah, thanks, sir. Thanks so much for having us. And, uh yeah, thank you. It was, it was fun to, to, to talk nonsense. So. Yeah. <laughs> it always, it's always good yeah, to thanks do for, Thanks for letting me do this, guy. Yeah. Really it was cool that you called in and oh, stayed yeah, on the absolutely. whole time. You're a good man, Seth. And uh, Sophia and Michael, <laughs> both of you are great. Thank you for coming on, and I uh, hope to have you guys on again some other time. Absolutely. Thank yeah, yeah, thanks. Have a good Have a good evening, everybody. And Blood is the life. Take care, guys. Blood is the life. <laughs> I hear the devil laughing. Thing is right outside the door. This is it, I wonder. What my sorry life was for. For all the things I've done. Seems that hell is my reward I was raised upon the Bible To be let down by the Lord Jesus, I'm asking One last time if you are there Send some kind of sign from me Show me that you care I'm down here on my praying bones Ashamed of all my pride Please tell me you'll be waiting When I reach the other side Tell them all I said goodbye Ain't no turning back this time You can tell them not to cry Tell them all I'm feeling fine Who cares if it's a lie The truth is just a waste of time Easy to leave it all behind Cause it was never
wasn't supposed to be like this Why wasn't everything okay One too many last kids Too many ones that got away I'm sick of always falling down Think I'll just stay as I like We're back here without your head. Uh, huge thanks to Sophia Cassiola and Michael Epstein of Blood of the Tribids. That was uh, that was really cool to talk to him and Seth Chadfield uh, for calling in. Very cool. And uh, his uh, villain is is great in the movie. Uh, so, I'm gonna have to find this movie now. Yeah, and also thanks to Angry Johnny and the Killbillies music of the month here on the show. 
Uh, sad news here is uh, Annabelle is taking a hiatus uh, from the show. Um, she's got some personal things going on. Uh, we wish her all the best. Absolutely. Yeah, and she's always welcome back. And but most importantly, we want uh, things to be okay with her. So, uh, so no hard feelings in any way. And uh, the the door is always open, and her chair is always safe for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking her place for now is uh, Mr. Seth Heiss. Oh, I was hoping you'd say cunt. <laughs> oh, your middle name. Uh. <laughs> no, we talked about this. We talked about this last night. I was like, just introduced me as cunt because he was like, "What am I introducing you as?" or something like that. Uh. Uh. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, like uh, scary Seth. <laughs> uh. I said something like STD heist or something. Horrific heist. Yeah. Psycho Seth. Psycho Seth. Yeah, he wanted to just be STD Seth. Oh. <laughs> he was going for realism. All right. Yeah. Just infested. <laughs> so anyway, you guys call in tonight. Uh, if you call in, I should have mentioned this earlier, but if you call in and do a uh, tall man impression, we still have some DVDs out there for you. So call in, give us uh, your best tall man impression, and you can win a Phantasm and Phantasm Ravager DVD. It's going to be pretty sweet. So has anybody done that yet? Yeah, we gave away a bunch of them. Oh. There's some good impressions. Oh, it was a tough one last time. Yeah, the week before last, there was four of them. And uh, they were all very good. Looking back, we probably should just gave all four of them a prize for doing a good job. Yeah, but screw them. Gives there them incentive go. to do it again. There you go. I agree. Uh... I'm I'm happy about this Channel Zero, which I absolutely loved. <laughs> um, it was already picked up for a second season on Sci-Fi, but it's already now been picked up for a third and fourth season as well. Nice. And, That's uh, mad cool. Yeah, and I I believe that all of them will be based on stories from uh, Creepy Pasta. Where did that name originate, Creepy Pasta? <laughs> Maybe they had some pasta that was creepy. Like, oh man, this is some creepy spaghetti. <laughs> oh, my spaghetti sure is scary. <laughs> what do you think like the creepiest pasta is? Like rigatoni or hmm. what's it called? Penne. We we'll look up the origin. Lasagna. <laughs> kind of frills. Some creepy ass lasagna you got there, fella. <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. I cannot eat this Alfredo. It's creeping me out. <laughs> That's more the sauce. <laughs> but I guess you—I mean—you don't know where the Alfredo came from. You just get like this white sauce all over your stuff. That could creep you out. The name "creepy pasta" comes from the word "copy pasta," an internet slang term for a block of text that gets copied and pasted over and over and over again from website to website. Hmm. Okay, that makes more sense because I was, you know, well, we know what we thought. Mm-hmm. Huh. How about that? That was not as interesting as I thought it was going to be. No, no. should have made up something. Not real. as interesting as I found out um, that the, the the term, you know, uh, blowing smoke up your ass, 
<laughs> which you know you just say it you know like oh yeah i'm not just blowing smoke up here and then like when i thought about it, it's like where the hell did that term ever come from because like why would someone blow smoke up your ass and why would that be like like a good thing or you know what i mean yeah like how does this whole term how does that whole saying make any sense like i'm not just blowing smoke up your ass like but why would what if someone literally was blowing smoke up your ass you wouldn't think oh they're just you know, trying to get on my good side. And so I looked it up, and it was an actual practice, like, back in, like, the 17, and I think maybe into the 1800s, um, where when people were were drowning, they thought that, like, literally blowing smoke up their ass would save their (laughs) lives. It It would dry them out from the inside. That sounds incredibly painful. I think I'd take my drowning. Yeah, so they had, like, the, it, like pools, not air. Like, They're it, not going to blow air up their ass. They're going to blow smoke. Oh, yeah, hot smoke because uh, the hot smoke would dry you out. And so they said, like uh, that, like around like uh, places where people you know, swam, like the oceans and stuff, they would keep like be- like bellows, like you'd see in a fire, old fireplace or coal burning thing, and and just in case someone was drowned, and they'd bring them up, but you know, flip them up on their belly and pull down, you know, the, the trousers and they just start, you know, squeezing smoke up in the ass. It's very weird. <laughs> Who thought of that? Who thought, oh, they're drowning or whatever. Uh, Let's, uh, you know, smoke a cigarette and blow it up in the ass. The doctors? The doctors were idiots. <laughs> that was that was the medicine of the day. Not even, like, blow it, like, through their, like, mouth. <laughs> no, they were trying. They were trying to. Yeah, that's. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, that was just some perv. They just, so. you know, it's kind of like aliens. Yeah, aliens, like, you know, like because once you look up, let's say you know, let's say you're a scientist and you check out like the rectum of like maybe two or three of the same creature. When you have a pretty good understanding of like the inner workings of that creature, but not aliens, they they grab you know thousands, millions of people, steal them away in their spaceship, and give them an anal probe. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for anything; they're just pervs. That's what these people were. They were like, you know, <laughs> they think we're going to save this guy. I just like blowing smoke up people's ass. That's what I like to do. Yeah, here's it says back in the late 1700s, uh, doctors literally blew smoke up people's rectums. Believe it or not, it was a general mainstream medical procedure used to, among many other things, resuscitate people who are otherwise presumed dead. In fact, it was such a commonly used resuscitation method for drowning victims, particularly, that the equipment used in the procedure was hung alongside certain major waterways. Such as along the River Thames, uh, people frequent fre- frequenting waterways are expected to know the location of this equipment, similar to modern times concerning the location of defibrillators. Ah. <laughs> Smoke was blown up the rectum by inserting a tube. This tube was connected to a fumigator and a bellows, which would compress for smoked into the rectum. Sometimes a more direct route to the lungs was taken by forcing the smoke in the nose and mouth. But most physicians felt the rectal method was more effective. 
Why would they think that? And more fun. That's what they thought. I think, yeah. I mean, why would anyone... Why would a normal person think, well, I think, you know, it's probably better for your lungs if we do this through your ass. (laughs) (laughs) The nicotine and the tobacco was thought to simulate the heart to beat stronger and faster, thus encouraging respiration. It works for me. (laughs) The smoke was also thought to warm the victim and dry out the person's insides, removing excessive excessive moisture. Now Troy's going to start smoking out of his ass. I am. I I just lit up there right now. (laughs) (laughs) So how did this all get started? The Native Americans were known to have used tobacco in a variety of ways including treating various medical ailments. And the European doctors soon picked up on this and began advocating it for treatments for everything from headaches to cancer. And then they're like, we must put it up their ass. (laughs) I think you're right. I think that was just some kind of weird fetish. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to try it now, though. I see somebody drowning on the beach. (laughs) Quick, bend over. Yeah. That, I mean, it would make, like, uh, lifeguards much more uh, bizarre. Instead yeah, of, like, mouth to mouth or just, everything. like, cigarette to ass. <laughs> well, that makes me wonder where, like, weird fetishes start from. I mean, I know it's, like, it's before they discovered a lot of, you know, medical things. But still, like, you would think just a doctor at any point in time would know that, like... Uh, you know, if, if they're if they're drowning from their from their lungs and their mouth, like we should probably do something there as opposed to up their ass. Like, did they just think it was just was like connected, right? Like the air goes in your mouth and then right out your ass. <laughs> that's yeah, that's how you exhale. I am absolutely positive nobody on earth has had this conversation before in their <laughs> life. We are kind of, you know, we're trail busters. Mm-hmm. It's an educational show. It is. You can learn some stuff without your head. Mm-hmm. Things maybe you didn't even ever want to know. <laughs> or need to. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was just saying, maybe this could be a basis for a horror movie, but I don't know. Ooh, it's a killer that's going to blow some smoke up your ass. Drowning you. <laughs> this could be Greasy Strangler Part 2. Oh know? my god, the Greasy Strangler. The Smoky Blower or something. I love the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> god, now, right from when I first heard the name Greasy Strangler. I was like, oh my god, this is a movie I have to see. <laughs> then I saw, you know, the the art, and I was like, oh god, this looks so cool. Then I saw the trailer, and I was like, holy shit, this looks amazing. So all those things, it's like, this is bound to let me down. Like, it, it, the, the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> so this was like your Doctor Strange, huh? Yeah, it's like, there's no way something as awesome as the Greasy Strangler is going to live up to the name. Like, that's just like the perfect name for a movie. And then uh, Mr. Jason uh, Minton sent it to me for my birthday. I opened it up early, uh, watched it right from the beginning to right from the beginning. I was like, I was hooked. Uh, right beginning to the end, I was like, oh my god, this rules! So apparently, it's also on Amazon streaming, so you can watch on there. Oh, it's so good! It's so bizarre. 
uh, and bizarrely like written, acted, performed. Uh, everything looks weird. There's not an attractive person in the entire movie. I just loved it. So that's a plus. It is. It was. It is to me. So many movies you watch, and I'm not saying they all have to be this way, but some movies you watch, I mean, it's clearly they're just getting like the best looking people they can get. And that's what the opposite. They're like, screw that. We're going to get this weird looking people. <laughs> and there's a lot of grease in it. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Even like the You never see enough screens. grease in movies. No. It doesn't even look like grease that I'm saying. It looks like candle wax. <laughs> Is this Greece? What is this? It's Jaws. Oh, I just uh, absolutely love this. And then as fate w- fate would allow, I was like, I gotta get these people on the show. So I sent out some emails. Bam! As soon as I sent the one, he's like, Yes, I would love to do without your head. Almost seemed like he knew the show. I was very happy about that. And and then the next day. I got the other one. So we're going to have Sky Elobar, who plays the son of the Greasy Strangler, and Michael St. Michaels, who plays the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> Both on live on the show next week. That's on awesome. Thursday night. I'm going to have to watch this movie yes, before then. Yes, you will. I recommend everyone out there listening watches it. Uh, I've noticed one of two things. Either... You think this movie is amazing like me and you absolutely love it or you can't stand it and you shut it off in 10 minutes. <laughs> that's uh, that's the, I've not seen anyone who said like, oh, yeah, it's all right. Oh, there's no one in between. Huh? No, 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 no in between whatsoever. It's either absolute love or absolute hatred that you can't. Even <laughs> They're just you're annoyed. You turn Where do you it off think and I'll can't fall? stand it. I think you'll like it. I think if you, I think I think B will hate it. How about Seth? Seth, hmm, that's a, that's a weird one. <laughs> I think I think a one or two, I think he's he'll the wild card. Way. Yeah, he's the wild card. I think he'll go either way. He he could possibly hate it. Yeah, either I'll love it or I'll hate it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely but, not going to be like yeah, you know, it was alright. Totally bizarre. I'm not really sure what kind of movie Seth likes. I mean, I know he likes like slashers, but he—I think he also likes some weird movies. He likes a movie with some grease in it. I bet. <laughs> if it's greasy food, yeah. yeah. <laughs> does this movie have greasy food? It in does. It? Yeah, yeah. He's just all okay. about eating grease. He, he dips his hot dog in the grease and greasy sausage. Yeah, he's yeah, all about the, the poster grease. with greasy sausage on it. Mm-hmm. Gotta have the grease. Gotta have the grease. Alright. Yeah, greasy... St- oh, God, this is so weird. The greasy strangler. I'm reading some of these reviews on Amazon. I hope they're all positive. No, I doubt they are. Much like uh, my- Michael and Sophia were talking about earlier. I think it's it's best if, like... People have to have, like... A real opinion about what you're doing. They're either just like, holy shit, that's awesome. Or, oh, my God, that's, that's just... Vile... <laughs> you, should, you should die <laughs> but you don't want to just be like eh, whatever this review says don't just don't <laughs> <laughs> I see yes just oh so good so good fantastic totally bizarre definitely not for everybody <laughs> <laughs> 
But this this review, like, this is possibly the worst movie I've ever seen. I'm like, if you go into a movie called The Greasy Strangler and you're expecting something, <laughs> you're fucking stupid. Yeah, it's not. It's not The Godfather. <laughs> if it is, I'll be real surprised. Uh, it's not Wizard of Oz. But damn, it's good. And I gotta get, I gotta get one of the greasy hats. There's these greasy toques, like, a, <laughs> and like the people who, who who made the movie, like, are wearing them. You always see the stars wearing them, and you see, uh, uh, you see Fredo wearing his. Is he Fredo or is he uh, Bilbo? He's Fredo, right? Ooh, not Fredo. That's that's from Frodo. Bar. Frodo. <laughs> 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 Gandalf so kisses him yeah, like you're like you dead heart. to me Frodo I'm smart I can do <laughs> things I'm not like dumb like people say so, I'm not like Samwise <laughs> it's not the way I wanted it Mike you're my kid brother <laughs> right so <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the way I wanted it Gandalf. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Troy and I were gonna go see... Uh, we really wanted to see it was split. Why the fuck didn't you? Because it's it snowed and we couldn't go. All kinds of crazy shit happened. Like what? Uh, it snowed, then, like, uh, Troy lost his keys. I lost my car keys. In like a twenty-step walk, I don't know, and we still haven't found them. Yeah, I don't. It's very weird. <laughs> they ran away. <laughs> it was just twisted. It's okay. I haven't left my house in like days. I probably don't know where my car keys are. Yeah, but at least you didn't walk 20, 20 steps and just have them vanish. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was some kind of curse that we weren't to see this movie. I don't know. If you guys end up hating it, I'm going to be pissed. Did you see it? Yeah. Okay. Now, I will say, though, it's not that much of a horror movie, because when I was watching the trailers, I was like, okay, this is going to be something really exciting. No, it's slower. Mm-hmm. But when we saw the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of it. We started to watch it online. It, uh, okay, no. And I don't condone, you know, doing this, but we started to watch it online. It was me, Seth, and Annabelle. And we were sitting there watching it, and we are like, God, we hate all these characters. When the hell, when are they going to, all right, just kill them already. Well, like, like, okay, they... we were watching it, and we probably, I think we watched like 15 minutes. Of I think we watched almost a half hour, to be honest. Yeah, it was, it was bad, but... It was like they're in this bowling alley, and you know you got these like stereotypical girls, and I, I was like, okay, whatever. And I was like, okay, I know the girl from The Witch is in this, and she has a very specific face. I'm not seeing her anywhere. <laughs> and however long into the movie, like we, it was like they were flirting with these guys at this bowling alley, and I almost said bowling park, bowling alley, and it was very like dramatic, but in a different type of way. <laughs> Then that thanks. I said that thanks, I think. <laughs> I'm out of it. Where was I going with that? 
I don't know. I'm hanging on this, and now yeah. So we're watching it. They're in the bowling alley. All this crap's going on, and then um, Seth is like, "Are you sure we're watching the right movie?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it turned out we're not. It was dramatic in a different kind of way than you would expect. It was dramatic in like, "Oh my God, there he is! How's my hair? How's my makeup?" It was like so serious. If that this wasn't like a seven ten split or something like that. It was, was this like, like an entirely different movie? Yeah, it was called Split, and it was like some kind of like romantic comedy. About <laughs> bowling? And, yeah, and it, we were watching it, we were like, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just this, so we were totally watching the wrong movie, which I think was karma for, you know, watch, watching it uh, illegally. <laughs> And I just want to say, I just want to say, I was the one that figured out we weren't watching the right movie. Yeah, I think I think if it was just Annabelle and I, we probably would watch the whole thing and be like, well, that, that movie sucked. That would have been hilarious if we were like, okay, I thought he was, they were kidnapped. We'd give like a whole review of the movie and it does nothing It didn't even do. have the split ending you yeah. expected. <laughs> People would be like, they did not watch the right movie. It was made like last year or two, so. Uh-huh. I told a bunch of people about that and they're like you guys are idiots and we're like well it's like have the poster for the movie on there <laughs> and we started we started watching it the real movie and then it got taken off the website about like 15 minutes in uh-huh. seemed like it was a good movie <laughs> that was really good i'm not gonna spoil the twist but when it came i was with my friend kaylee and we were like what the fuck and we had to do some googling but we were like oh So you guys were watching, like, The Big Lebowski or something. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that good. It was just some It was just some stupid rom- some bowling rom- movie. romantic comedy that took place it in, like, a bowling movie. It wasn't even a good romantic comedy. It was awful. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah, it sucked. So, but you definitely recommend it. Without spoiling it, give us some ideas about the movie. Hmm. It might it's be hard, I don't know. Well, there's stuff in the movie, like, there's a couple flashbacks to one of the girls, like, childhood, which you saw a little bit of it when we watched. Mm-hmm. And we discredited the fact that, like, because she's really clever in the movie, the girl from The Witch. I cannot think of her name. I don't know her character's name. <laughs> the Witch. But, woman. uh, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. The woman from The Witch. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's these flashbacks, and like she did something that was really clever really early on, and we were like, why couldn't she just be some smart woman? Oh, turns out that had nothing to do with her cleverness. <laughs> it's, it's totally different. And the acting in the movie was amazing. Like I give the acting like however many stars you can get acting. So like, does, the, uh, does it have a big twist at the end? Yeah. And it works? Yeah. It, I don't know if you'll get it right away when you watch it but if you do then that will probably make it even better but when it dawned on us we were like oh it was kind of like if you ever saw American Hustle and you're watching the movie and you're like this movie is very whatever like what's all the buzz about and then when it gets to the final like 20 minutes you're like whoa that was good very cool I'm looking forward to seeing it if it wasn't like the cursed movie that I'm doomed never to see Mm mm-hmm (laughs) 
<laughs> I hope nothing bad happens every time we try to see it. I know. Or maybe it's just Kingston. Every time we try to go to Kingston, something hey. crazy happens. Oh, you know, I, I, did, I can't believe we didn't bring this up in the interview, but I do want to mention that uh, Sophia and Michael did amazing uh, video for us uh, concerning Phantasm Ravager. Well, actually, all the Phantasm movies. Um, and you can check that out over on our YouTube page, Without Your Head. Uh, fantastic, and uh, really thanks to, to both of them. And they'll be doing some other uh, stuff for us coming up. Let's see. We have Mr. Ready on the line. We have uh, Johnny Cakes on the line. Hey, boy. Oh, shit. That sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Was that your impression? It was my try at an impression. Hey, boy. Oh, fuck. (laughs) You had him like the hillbilly tall man. I kind of like that. Hey, boy. I'm surrounded by dwarfs covered in pus. Does that help? It works. <laughs> so just a typical day for John. <laughs> well, when you can find the dwarfs, it's good. <laughs> that is good luck. Usually if you're Shit, I really dumb. like Phantasm. Yeah, Phantasm. Hey, boy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I think he's thinking deliverance. <laughs> I will. Squeal if you need like me to set that on the top shelf, I will. <laughs> so is uh, we were talking about blowing smoke up the ass earlier. Is that something that still happens in Canada? <laughs> I don't like the words blowing ass together. They're just bad words to put together. Uh-huh. Blow the nice word. Ass can be a pretty word to look at, but blowing ass together, no. It's usually bad times. <laughs> Those words don't work. Where did you, um, I wanted to read the rest of that article, though. Oh, about the, about the, yeah, let's see, when we get back to it. <laughs> yeah, where'd you get that? Uh, it's on todayifoundit.com. Okay. <laughs> Who did all the research to put that together, too? <laughs> Somebody's like a historian just about that. <laughs> they made some calls. Yep. I tell your parents that's what your profession is going to be. Mm-hmm. They have a picture of like this, the like the medical like they have procedure, then they have like a, an actual case that I that was used. Like, it was like the doctor's briefcase of the bellows and the tubes and. That they would use to insert into the rectum and blow the smoke up to save life. Now, did this ever work? Did you do you think like after a while they're just like, you know, this has never saved anyone's life. Maybe we should just. Oh, they just this. sat around drinking, <laughs> laughing, going, "Man, we did it again." They just invented beef shorty and forgot about it. <laughs> like, oh, this will work eventually. Yep, keep trying. <laughs> Gotta work a couple bugs out. <laughs> But other, otherwise, there's nothing wrong with blowing smoke out people's asshole. Uh, yep. Tobacco glister enema. Breathe and bleed. Keep I'm going to bring warm. this back, man. I'm going to try it. This is a poem that Dr. Houlston wrote in 17... Now, you know you're a great doctor if you're writing poems about what you do. <laughs> Does this, maybe that's how Dr. Seuss started. Could have been. This is his poem about 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 this. 
tobacco, tobacco glister, glister enema breathe and bleed keep warm and rub till you succeed and spare no pains for what you do may one day be repaid to you what a weirdo I refuse to believe it <laughs> the practice of using tobacco smoke enemas on drowning victims quickly spread as a popular way to introduce tobacco into the body to treat an array of other medical conditions including headaches, hernias, respiratory ailments and abdominal cramps <laughs> tobacco enemas were even used to treat typhoid fever and during uh, chloria outbreaks In the most rudimentary form, tobacco smoke enemas were not always administered with the aid of bellows. Originally, the smoke was blown up the victim's rectum with whatever was handy, such as a smoking pipe. <laughs> Just took a little longer that way. Of course, a supposed to like a bed pipe. Or... I'm going to get a hookah and try this, man. Of course, such close contact wasn't ideal, and if the re rescuer accidentally inhaled instead of blue, let's just say things that would shut. Uh, one should not aspirate could be inhaled. <laughs> if the person jerked around, most mouth contact was also a risk. In fact, one of the earliest documented references of using such tobacco enema to resuscitate someone came from someone using a smoking pipe in 1746. In this case, the man's wife had nearly drowned and was unconscious. It was suggested that an emergency tobacco enema might revive her, at which point the husband of the woman took a pipe, filled it with burning tobacco, shoved the stem into the wife's rectum, and then covered the other end of the pipe with his mouth and blew. As one would, as one would imagine, hot embers of tobacco being blown up her rectum had the intended effect, and she was indeed revived. There you go. See, it works. <laughs> it works. Man. How's that sound, Seth? Burning embers blowing up your ass. That sounds okay. <laughs> Don't knock it till you try it. So basically, it's just, it's just like shocking someone back to life. Like, holy fuck. That, get, I mean, I can, fire out of my if ass. someone came up behind you, shoved a tube, and there was a smoke up your ass, you'd be shocked. That's true. That'll get that'll get the heart going, man. Just a little bit, yeah. Man, you didn't want to you don't want to play like dead around these people back then. No. <laughs> Messing around, <laughs> like no, no, I'm just playing. I kind of like these kinky doctors, though. They're okay. Yeah, and they're writing poems. Ah. A bunch of weirdos. <laughs> I wonder if this guy wrote any other poems. Now that now I'm interested in the poetry. That's right. An ode to the sphincter. 
And so, uh, uh, Stephen King's It is going to be R-rated. The new, uh, the new remake. Oh, that's cool. Good. Uh, it's an R-rated movie. If you're going to make an R, make an R-rated movie, you have to fully embrace what it is. This is a, a quote from the, the producer, and you have to embrace the source material. There's a scary clown that's trying to kill kids. So of course, that's going to be an R-rated movie. The kids are amazing. You very much get a Stand By Me vibe as far as the com- uh, camaraderie and the way they joke with each other and that they really care for each other. Anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I love, uh, I love the original one. Which yeah, the kids like- look good. I, I saw the uh, you know still photos. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's cool now to hate the original one. I, yeah, it's kind of cool to hate King, I think, in general. Hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of people saying that Stephen King's not a good writer now. Yeah. I see it a lot on the Facebook. But they mean just now after the car accident, right? No, no, I mean in general, like they just say he's not a good writer. Like they don't oh, like his book. I've Even the classic stuff like Carrie and, you know, Cujo and all that jazz. <clears throat> but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I just, uh, I know it's part of the book and I know it's part of other King stuff, but I could do without the giant turtle. A turtle of enormous girth on his back, he holds the earth? Yeah, I could do without that. Yeah, but it links all the jazz together. I understand. Well, I don't think it's needed to tell the story. Oh, not that specific story, but I mean, if they're going to... It's probably gonna be, not going to be that company that makes um, uh, the Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a really important element of that. Can you do the Dark Tower without that, or is it... Well, the Dark Tower, the whole... Um, the beam and the Dark Tower, the, the turtle, all that jazz, it's all linked together in the Dark Tower. Mm. So, I mean, it'll be there in that. All the different points of the tower, there's a big bear, too, that's pretty cool. Mm. I just, you see, I never read the Dark Tower anything, so when I when I read that, when I read uh, it, and then that happens, it kind of, honestly took me out of the story. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things, like, um, it really isn't that important. Well, it really isn't very important to that story at all. It could have been the voice of God, you know? And, uh... But it just kind of links, like, his whole universe together. Yeah. Yeah, that and the kids banging each other. That doesn't need me. Yeah, see, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know. Do you want to see it in film, though? It'd be like these little kids just banging each other. (laughs) They'll probably cut away in here. Well, it's really detailed in the book. It's almost like you're reading it and you think, like, man, I'm going to get, like, on some kind of list. Yeah, that won't be in the movie, new. I highly don't. That's kind of like a cut to scene. This happens, this happens, cut to. And everybody's eating a peanut butter sandwich. 
could be. They're all sitting around, like, you know, having a smoke afterwards. Blowing yeah. smoke up each other's asses afterwards. <laughs> we do not tell mom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone about this. <laughs> That's an actual quote from when I was a kid. Something happened. <laughs> I don't know that I want to hear this story. <laughs> We were uh, his neighbor. I don't know if I should say his name, but anyway, just let's go with neighbor. Philip. Neighbor, he uh, he built. He had us. He made a snow demon. It was like a snowman, but he put horns on it and stuff. So it was a snow demon. And me and uh, I'll say their I'll say their nicknames. Me, Wilf, and Shipley. Uh, we went and uh, we knocked down the snow demon. We're not Dennis. So then later that day we were up and let's see, I was probably like 14 or 15. Shipley was a year older and then Wilt was two years older. So let's say I was 14, one was 15, one was 16, something like that. And so um, we were up and we put a bunch of old action figures on a, uh, on a snowbank and then we throw snowballs on them and knock them off. And so this neighbor came up, and this neighbor was either in his late teens, he had already graduated high school, or early 20s. Probably late teens, probably 18 or 19. So he comes walking up, and he grabs uh, Shipley, who's the middle kid, by the neck and starts, and squeezes his windpipe and throws him into the snow. And he starts screaming about, oh, you're not down, my snow demon, blah, blah, blah. And then he, after he's choking, he chokes him out. He grabs a hunk of the snow from the snowbank and throws it on the on the road and then kicks it. So it's just snow. It's not like something we built. It's just snow. And then so he starts storming off. And while he's storming off, he screams, don't tell anyone about this. And then we all just died laughing. And, what and now you're told. We did. It's actually even my yearbook. I have it under quotes. Don't tell me. <laughs> Which I'm sure now looking back, people are like, what the fuck? It's like, probably like molested or something. But it was very, very funny at the time. He was, I bet it was. This person, Detroit knows, which if you know him, would make it makes all the stories even funnier. But he used to make uh, traps in, in the forest and like, so we'd go up there, and like it would literally be like you'd hit like a, a trip wire, and like a pine cone would like slowly swing down, and a pine cone <laughs> weighs like maybe two ounces, so it's like there's no way this is gonna do any damage to anybody. Oh, that's great! Yeah, why wouldn't you make like a like disco ball full of pine cones? <laughs> yeah, I mean this. You know, if you're gonna take the time, at least make like a trap that's gonna like injure if you're gonna, somebody. Like, yeah, kill somebody. Like if you're gonna make like some kind of tripwire thing, use like that like saw wire stuff. So at least cut their feet off. <laughs> we, I remember one time we had a because I used to collect knives and stuff, and I had one of those uh, survival knives that had the, the razor wire, and uh, we tried to saw through a picnic table. And like it took all day to saw through like like six inches of it. And then we just gave up. See, you'll never build the snow demon with that attitude. That's very true. Very true. Uh, anything else, Mister Reddy? Everybody wanted me to play basketball, but I really wanted to work with the dance. See, you know, one person of the tall man. What was that? 
I say, see, there you go. More in touch with the towel, man. Yeah. Everybody wanted me to play basketball, but I really wanted to work with the dirt. You All right, I think he's entered into the contest. He you is conceptual. You think you go to heaven when you die? No. You come to me. Bitching about things and, you know... All right, Ray. We we're gonna keep you here on the on the names. I can't guarantee you're gonna win, but we want to. We do appreciate calling in, though. You're a good man. Yeah, well, I I try. I really like the, you know. You're a good guy. We appreciate you. You call in anytime. Absolutely. Impression or not. Thanks a lot. You're a good man. We'll talk impression, to you soon. Impression, depression, whatever. <laughs> Expression. <laughs> Take care, dude. Compression. Compression. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. So I was just reading here over on JoeBlow.com that um, there's a Lost Creep Show 2 story. I guess that was going to be in the movie, but it was cut for budgetary reasons, called Pinfall. And it it, it was about, oddly enough, bowling. Hmm. I heard something about this. It all ties into what we were, were talking about. I know it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was about, like, bowling uh, zombies. Nuckies. I don't think I've ever read the story. No. Well, now it's in a comic book, I guess. Oh, okay. So, uh, I'll check that out. Uh, you know what movie looks really good, I think, from the reviews? And they even had, uh, yeah, I mean, on the, a trailer. And they even had a trailer during the Super Bowl was is uh, A Cure for Wellness. Really? Yeah, this looks good. Have you seen the trailer, uh, Seth? I haven't seen the trailer, but I saw a clip. It was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I had the option to skip, but I thought it looked interesting. Where he's like, on crutches, he's going up the stairs, and I don't remember the rest of the scene because it's been like two weeks. But, <laughs> but I just remember, I couldn't figure out for the longest time. I was like, is this like a really well-directed commercial of some type? Or if it is it a preview for something? Because it didn't have any like things labeling what it was because it sounded like they could have led into oh well you just need this product to feel better sir <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh it is something so i was like i'm gonna have to check this out so what does so it look like in the uh trailer now um good going seth it's like he was like trying to escape and he couldn't find his way out and i thought that was interesting and then he like runs into him, and he's like, "Oh no, I was just trying to get back to my room." Yeah, um, it's hard to explain. I really, just think you watch a trailer, and we'll talk about it more next week. Oh, I'll have to do that. Yeah, I I really haven't even heard about this movie. No, it looks really, looks really cool. Kind of a weird science fiction type movie. Okay. I can't really tell what it's about. It looks good. Looking good to me. So they're actually making this called the Chucky movie. Yeah, I'm excited. I like I like the Chucky movies. The uh the trailer, like, I think it's kinda lame that they even put a trailer out when it had no new material in it. Yeah, like it'd be different if it like ended with a shot of Chucky from this new one, but right. it didn't. Uh, but yeah, and it's got like uh, it's got like people from like all the other Chucky movies. It's got uh, Alex Vincent from the original, you know, Child's Play. Oh, uh huh. 
uh, Fiona Dora from the latest one, Jennifer Tilly from uh, nice. Bride of Chucky. So Brad Dorf still going to be the voice of Chucky? I believe so. You could, I, I believe so. so, yeah. I think it ties in, like, all the... Because, uh, like, uh, uh, Alex Vincent's character from the original Chucky's comes to, like, save uh, uh, Fiona's character from the recent ones. Oh. So, I'm interested. I like I liked Chucky movies. I do, too. I like, I like the first others. one. Yeah, I like the first one in Bride the best. Honestly. Bride, yeah. Yep. The rest of them you can kind of avoid. Yeah. I, I don't really care for the first one too much. Oh, you don't? No. I find a lot of the things that to be incredibly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Such as? You know, thankfully it wasn't much worse. But I'll say it was better than Child's Play 2 and 3. Those movies are shit. Yeah. When he goes to the uh, the military school, yeah, that one—that's just really bad. Yeah, that was awful. And I love Bride of Chucky. Yeah. I do too. It's weird because some people hate it because it 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 veers away from like horror and it's more comedy. But totally, it, I think it's just a very entertaining movie. It's I just think it's uh, well written. It's it's yeah. clever. Yeah, I enjoy that. There's one a great lot. Uh, great performances in it. Yeah. And I like this last one too, Curse of Chucky. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Back to the horror though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which it surprised me that it worked still. I think it was particularly scary, but it was fun. Did you wet your pants? No. <laughs> any any horror flicks coming up soon? There's Leatherface. When's that one coming out? Um, I haven't seen any release dates. Okay. Did you hear about the Valentine's Day double feature? No. They're um, only at select uh, theaters. They're having um, Frankenhooker and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers as a special Valentine's Day double feature. That's pretty so awesome. it's only out next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So grab your squeezy, go out and see those two movies. Yeah, uh, I always thought My Bloody Valentine uh, is a really uh, underrated slasher. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the villain's great. I think it's a well-made movie. I think the kill scenes are really cool in it. I actually love the music in it, the, the, the ballad to uh, I forget the character's name, but I always think that's a really, you know, there wasn't a sequel, they did do a remake, but there's no sequels or anything, but uh, I think uh, for 80 Slashers movies, that's like a that's a really great movie. Yep, that doesn't get the love it, it deserves. Where Total do you stand on uh, My Bloody Valentine, Seth? You're, you're pretty big on the uh, on the Slashers. It's fine. I had it, I, last time I saw it, I was like, it's okay. I haven't seen it in years. I remember seeing the remake not too long ago, and I, that movie was shit. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It's really like, it's, it, it's so bad. It's fucking boring. Yeah, it's really. Uh, I, it's. It's. I think it's un, an un, unnecessary movie because it's just basically <laughs> just the first movie, just like made again. But 
There's really no changes to it or anything? Not really, no. Seems kind of bizarre. Um, I've got a list here of uh, 18 upcoming horror movies for 2017. Uh, They have the split on there, obviously, which is out. A Cure for Wellness. Um... Uh, XX, which is uh, it's an anthology film all by uh, women directors. Um, I don't feel at home in the world anymore. I'm not <laughs> I can relate to that. That sounds scary. <laughs> uh, this one, this is what it says about this one sounds like a gender bender. Ruth is a woman in a serious personal rut. When she returns home one day to find her house burglarized. She decides she's had enough and sets out to retrieve her stolen property. Ruth teams up with her neighbor, Elijah Wood, <clears throat> to crack the case with their part with their uh, with the pair eventually becoming embroiled in a sordid criminal adventure. The movie Sundance Page describes it as a blood-soaked foray into a twisted moral universe. And with these two actors on board, it will surely provide the quirkiest of indie thrills. I love me a whole bunch of Elijah Wood, I gotta say. Yeah, and, and uh, Ruth is uh, Melanie Sn- uh, Linsky, who I'm not familiar with. Hmm. Oh, Get Out. That one looks good to me. Oh, I, I thought you were just, like, annoyed by something. No, it's a movie I called Get like, Out. just like, ah, Get Out. No, 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 get <laughs> That's out. what I thought, too. <laughs> it's like this black guy goes to uh, visit, like, his girlfriend's white family. Oh, and, yeah, like, I remember seeing like, the trailer for that. Yeah, and there's, like, some other black people there, and they're all kind of, like, weird, and you don't know exactly what's going on. And it's almost like they, they're keeping, like, the black people there as, like, some kind of slaves or something. It looks cool. Yeah, looks yep, very bizarre, that one might be yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan, I don't know why that's considered a horror movie. Might be a horrible movie. <laughs> I do think it looks pretty good. Oh, the the trailer makes it look good, but I'm yeah. absolutely positive. I have no doubt in my mind that it's going to suck. Because not one of those X-Men movies have been worth a damn. Now, I'm not so... I actually... I always find it annoying when people like argue if something's horror or not. It's like mm-hmm. what what different difference does it make if uh you know, if um if alien, alien is sci-fi or yeah. horror. I mean, do I now all of a sudden think it sucks cuz like it's sci-fi or No, I mean I, I don't care. It's Silence of the Lambs. Does it make it better or worse if you consider it, you know, a thriller and it's like it doesn't matter. It's a good yep. movie. What difference does it make? But I calling like Logan a horror movie, I think that's really stretching. Yeah, I think so. It's listed under sci fi action thriller. You know, it's a comic book movie. Like you know, I could see action, mate sci fi possibly, I guess, but definitely not a horror movie. No. Maybe like Blade you can consider a comic book. Right, movie. right. Something like that. Yeah. That's you know, good. Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, that's getting a little silly, I think. Yeah. Um, Raw is coming out March 10th. That one looks good. What's that one going got going on? About, about cannibalism. Oh, okay, yep. By the way, I heard good things about that, that new TV show, um, Something Diet. It's on Netflix. It's about cannibalism. Hmm. Have you seen this, Seth? 
Seth? I know nothing of this. No. Santa Clara, Santa Clarita Diet. It's a cannibal sitcom. <laughs> All right, I kind of dig that. I yeah. like the premise. <laughs> get Drew Barrymore in it. Oh yeah, it's got Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, yeah, I like, yeah. Oh. I like I like Timothy Oliphant. I think he's great in uh, actually most stuff. Yeah, he was great in um, what was the HBO show with the Wild West? Deadwood. Yeah, Deadwood, and he's great in Justified, and uh, oh yeah, <clears throat> I thought he was. I think an underrated uh, remake was um, the, crazies. the Crazies. Yeah, yeah. He's real good in that one, too. He is good in everything. He is good in Scream 2. He was good in The Perfect Getaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he in, um, or am I thinking of a different guy? Was he in uh, Dreamcatcher? I think so. I'm not positive, but I think no. so. See, Personal Shopper. I'm not sure what that is. The Belko Experiment. Um... Oh, a new Alien, Alien Covenant, Suspiria remake. Maybe. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's a little late, isn't it? Yeah, I just don't see that working. Like, it's such a such a unique movie. Mm. Maybe a cop remake. Why did Why was that needed? <laughs> it wasn't. Man. Oh, I saw that. Uh, did you guys see who's like uh, the co-director of the new um, uh, new Halloween? Oh, um, Danny McBride, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of cool. Which, uh, oddly enough, I discovered uh, WTF podcast. I know it's been around for, for years, but uh, and I tend not to listen to podcasts. I know that sounds weird since I host multiple podcasts, but, um, but anyway, uh, this is one I really like because I think the interviews are great. The more, you know, conversation than interview and he, he has so many great guests. And like I said, it's just really him talking to people and you, you know, talking about different things and, and anyway, he had Danny McBride on there, Mark Marin, and, uh, Danny McBride, uh, talked about, you know, going to film school to do like, uh, dramas and horror movies and stuff, and not you're know, seeking out to do comedy, and he just kind of fell into it. And so, uh, so if I hadn't listened to that, I might find it very strange. But actually, listening to that, I was like, oh, it makes sense because actually, he always wanted to make a horror movie. So I'm really interested to see what what he does with uh, with Halloween. Yeah, that might be pretty wild. Then yeah, it could be, you know, total failure. <laughs> Yeah, but everything that, like, uh, Danny McBride usually does, so I've enjoyed. Yeah, I have to. But it's all been comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird, because now he's, he's, doing the, he's doing this, and he's also acting in the in the new Alien movie. Oh, he is? Yeah, and I just can't picture that, because uh, I picture him as a comedian. A lot of the, what's funny about him is I always think he's, like, like a bad actor, and so that's part of the comedy. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe he's aware of that. Maybe he's doing that in the movie. So I don't know. I can't. I have a hard time imagining him, um, in the, uh, you know, in a in a dramatic role. It's yeah. very weird. 
I just, just I just picture seeing that and just laughing. Yeah, usually you do when you see him. Mm-hmm. We'll find out though. I yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go in with an open mind. Yeah, Robin Williams uh, did some great uh, dramatic roles. So true. So I'm interested though. I, I'm a fan of his, so it'll be cool to see him uh, venture out and do some other stuff. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. I like him even more now. <laughs> Kind of like Elijah Wood. I liked him before, and then when he, you know, started to do more like a horror interest, I liked him even more. Yeah, because the guy, the guy could just make a fortune just doing mainstream movies. Yep. Wouldn't that to worry? But um, he uh, he wanted to make weird horror movies, and he's doing it. So I think that's really cool. Oh, hell yeah. I uh, want to mention uh, withoutyourhead.com slash store. We get all kinds of cool shirts up there. And recently, they've all uh, been lowered in price for the single-sided shirts. Now they start at only $13. Nice. Uh, we're getting a better deal for the shirt, so why not pass that along to all the good people without your head? Uh, the double-sided pass stuff's the a little... savings on to you. Exactly. Now, the double-sided stuff's a little more, but... Uh, all the regular shirts, one side stuff starts at $13, you know, it's a little more for bigger size or whatnot. And for people who love the, uh, the year of shirts, year of the beast is out there, 2017. And there's also a version now where you can just get the big logo on the front. So you can get the double sided with the name tag says the beast and then the big logo on the back, or you can get it with just the big logo on the front, however you like. So go and do that. Do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Castlevania TV series is coming to Netflix. Um, I heard it's going to be very bloody. Yeah, that's what it says. It's going to be a very, a very violent. I mean, I love the game. Or games, plural. Yeah. But there's really very... Very rarely does a good game translate into a good movie. I can't think of like any like good movie that's based off a video game. <laughs> Most of them are just shits. Yeah. What was that? You didn't like House of the Dead? No, House of the Dead is horrible. I'm not a fan of uh, of the uh, what's the the zombie ones that they made like as ten of or whatever. Oh, they did a few of the them. They have the one out. that says it's the last one now. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. I thought they, they were called? just terrible. I only saw cool? the first one, but... God, and there really was the big. one with Sean Bean, Silent Hill. That was pretty bad, too. I've never seen it. You don't want to? No. <laughs> There's... Uh... Mario Brothers. Yeah, the Mario Brothers. That's awful. That was That's quite like, a kind movie. of like thought of as like this classic now. I remember That's it. pretty sad. I went to see it at the theater, and it was just god-awful, and everyone hated it at the time, and now people think it's like this this classic movie. I remember falling asleep. Yeah. It's one of the only movies I fell asleep. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know many bad Bob Hoskins movies, but that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it bites. Double Dragon. Yeah, that was quite a movie. Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. 
That had a great cast. Yeah, a lot of people. Poor Raul Julia was in that movie. Uh huh. Poor bastard. <laughs> I think that killed him. That fucking movie. Mm-hmm. What was the? Uh, was out recently though. The, uh, it's like uh, a game where you got the orcs and the humans. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Warcraft. 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 Yeah, I heard that was just awful. I haven't yeah, seen. Yeah, it was pretty it. crappy. Seems like maybe some Seth would dig. You're waiting for the Pac-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Pac-Man. Yep. Pac-Man the movie. Yep. Didn't they make that? <laughs> Qbert the movie. That's what we need. Is there any video games you would like to see made into a movie? Nope. Not a one. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Pitfall the movie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe some movies that could be turned into video games. Mm-hmm. But- Popeye the video game, the movie. <laughs> I loved that game. That was such a great game. Yeah, it was good. Zelda, could you make Zelda into a movie? Uh, probably I mean, I guess not. you could, but uh, <laughs> could you make it into a good movie? Metroid, the I, crappy I Metroid. movie. Yeah. Did they make a Metroid movie? Did they? Oh, no. I'm sure. I hope not. Good God, I hope not. But the Castlevania thing's weird, because it's just basically like Dracula. Yeah, so they could, you know, they could definitely do it. Mm-hmm. Where it wouldn't suck. Yeah, it's just the guy with the whip fighting Dracula. Yeah. Unless unless the show's just him, like, swinging across, like, vines, like... That'd be awesome. Minutes. Every episode was like, <laughs> you know, the first one's Castlevania 1, uh, the second one. He's just fighting bats flying by for twenty yeah. hour. Like and he just grabs wood. like a cross or holy water and smashes it, and everything just blows up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is a good game, though. Love that game. Mm-hmm. I know a uh, former get uh, former host here, uh, uh, Jittery John. He, I don't know if he still does, but at one point in time, he held the. Uh, the world record for for that on on the the arcade version. Oh, Castlevania. Yeah, for beating it wow. like in the quickest time or something. I didn't even know they had an arcade version. I never never really, played. Really, I think it's pretty rare. Is it? Yeah, to get those records, you have to like film yourself playing it <laughs> and prove it's like not an edited version. So he played it for like twenty hours straight or whatever. A better man than I. Mm-hmm. Then, like, it was like some guy from another country, like I don't know, from Korea or something, that kept beating him. So, like, they were battling each other for a while. <laughs> That's pretty cool. He had like an arch enemy. Yeah, seems like a total waste of time. But absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's something we're going to read on the show. This is uh, Jason Mitten. He's a good guy. And this will be a semi-regular thing on the show whenever he sends one in. And uh, he went to see Rings, and this is what he said about it. Another soulless Hollywood sequel. (laughs) (laughs) I've not researched how Rings came to be. I'm simply guessing, based off what I watched, that some executive thought they could make a dollar off a Rings sequel. So they hired a writer to write a script, then hired a director... And then the crew to make the film. They didn't seem to be any driving force behind the movie besides some company or non-creative entity. I don't know uh, don't know about everyone else, but I'd personally rather watch a bad movie with passion behind it 
than an okay movie that was cookie cutter. Oddly enough, that came up in the in the interview. Yes, indeed. And I agree wholeheartedly. Who whomever was behind Rings was didn't give us a simple story of someone new watching the Ring tape and trying to survive a little girl coming out of the television. Instead, they did something I really hate in sequels. They added unneeded layers to the film. Slight spoiler alert, not only do they investigate the history of Samara, already done it twice before, they <laughs> also added an unneeded second video. The only reason what, I... the first video is not scary enough? You watch it and you die in however many days. Uh... I think that's frightening enough. I don't think it needs any more shit. (laughs) The only reason I could think they do this is the new writer director wanted to update or put their own spin on the creepiness of the original video. Just pointless. The positives of the movie was the lead actress, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz. She has many names. Yes, the woman of many names, uh, the law office of <laughs> Matilda Ingrid Oodle Nothing exceptional, but she did a good job. I also enjoyed the clinical exploration of the video itself as an idea. Even if the result of that I, of that, lead, that led the movie in a direction I didn't care much for. The brightest part of the movie was Vincent D'Onofrio. What's he doing this shit? Who I consider one of Hollywood's best actors. I agree. Yep, I'm he, down with that. He could win an Emmy for his role as Kingpin on Daredevil. 100% agree. Oh, yeah. If shows like that were recognized. His performance in Rings was good, but his role was limited. I love The Ring. It was the last movie I remember creeping me out in theaters as I watched it. I watched The Ring too, but I honestly don't remember it. Other, other than I didn't much you know, like it. That, you know, it's funny. I'm the exact same way. Uh, I know I've seen it, but I can't remember shit about it. Mm-hmm. Rings is going... Are you saying Seth, sorry? It, it's real bad. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Rings is going to fall under the same fate as The Ring 2. I never walk out in movies. Man of Steel was the last movie I walked out on. Years ago. <laughs> Good man. That tells you all. I like him happens. even more. Uh, I made it until 15 or 20 minutes from the end of the movie and just left. I didn't care how it ended. In the movie's defense, I, was, I wasn't feeling well and probably would have otherwise stayed. I should also say that if the movie had been good, there's no way I would have left. Four out of ten. Wow, that sounds like he's even being kind. Yeah. Did you see this one, Seth? No, I had no interest. (laughs) I didn't see that movie, The Bye-Bye Man, though. And you loved it, right? No. (laughs) I've been shitting on movies tonight, like, all night. (laughs) I've been shitting on these movies. But this is... This is one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> what was so bad about it? Uh, I'm going to have to sit here and think. I forgot about this, but not when I was in, in uh, when not rehab, I think it was when I was in the hospital, I watched a bunch of movies, and one I forgot to ever mention was Get the Gallows. That movie yeah. was just unbelievably awful. 
Yeah, that movie was bad. That I think was, I saw that. Oh one. my god, it was terrible. With the high school kids. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it was just so horrendous. There were so many senseless parts in that movie. Yeah, and they really hyped that movie up. They kept saying how this was like the next Jason and stuff. And yeah, I actually thought it looked good from the ads. It really did. The uh, only thing I'll give it is that it had that Charlie Charlie challenge thing going around, and then after that, nobody remembers it. <laughs> like the Bye Bye Man, there's like. I like in movies when it like leaves you guessing on certain things <laughs> that are like big things, but not when it's like petty. Like, how did this guy get out of this chair? Like, because he was tied to the chair, and then the next shot he's out. Shit like that, and it bothers me. I'm like, why? <laughs> what did they just forget or something? It, it's like the little things. Like, it's like they didn't pay attention, did they? I will say the one good thing about it was the cinematography. Was it? Yeah. How are you at that? I might go see the Batman Lego movie. Why is that? <laughs> it looks hysterical from the ads. Uh-huh. I'm not. I, I, I enjoyed the the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've not seen a, a Lego movie, so I, I wasn't like saying that as a derogatory or something. <laughs> no, that's okay. It, it's definitely not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But did you see the ad? The ads look very funny to me. No. no. I saw I saw the still pictures, and I think they look really cool. Oh, yeah. Like the, uh, you know, I think all the, all the, um, all the villains look cool in it. Yeah. And it's got, it can't be any worse than, uh, than like, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> no, exactly. I need something to cleanse my palate from that. And I think this might be the movie to do it. Because mm-hmm. Will Arnett's uh, the voice of Batman. Mm-hmm. But this leads me to, like, me bitching about something. Um, so, the movie comes out tomorrow. So... Last weekend, uh, I think I was, yeah, I think I was at work, and B went to uh, Walmart to pick up some stuff, and she brought home a Blu-ray, and uh, she's like, hey, I got the the Batman Lego movie. And I'm like, I don't see how, since it doesn't come out till Friday, and she got and it had a big display, and it was not the Lego or Batman Lego movie. This was the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> and so, you know, like, I mean, it was only 12 bucks, so I can't bitch too much. But it was just, I felt, like, really cheated. That, you know, because you know so many people went there and, like, you know, if you're somebody's mom or whatever and they're like oh my kids they can't wait for this movie so let me pick it up and then you'd get home and your kid would be like wow this isn't the fucking movie i want to go see (laughs) and i was that kid i was like you know hey the hell is this so what is it it's just um i i don't know who makes uh like the Lego uh, DC video games and stuff, but they made like kind of a 
budget version of, and it's basically just clips that you kind of see in the video games of like the Lego Batman. And it's made to just kind of like fool people into thinking that this is the movie that's going to be released in theaters on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe some people will watch it and like have a moment like we did with Split. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That could be. You know what just dawned on me? And it makes me, Neil, and Annabelle all dumbasses. It was very obviously not bootlegged. Oh, really? Yeah, that just dawned on me. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, <clears throat> I found this. Uh, someone posted it uh, actually on our group page, which you, everyone should join. It's uh, without your Facebook, uh, dot com slash group slash without your head whore, and you can uh, chat along with us during the live show. It's a lot of fun, and throughout the week, you can post stuff. And they posted uh, the top 10 uh, unmissable genre films of 2017. And one of them is called Kuso. Hmm. And it says, why? Uh, Because debut director Stephen Ellison has crafted the most confrontational piece of progressive cinema since the eyeball-slicing Unchin Andalo. He's also solicited the help of specialists in in mutant bukkake. (laughs) <laughs> social media wow Kuso is Japanese for excrement that features funk royalty George Clinton no sheltering a toddler sized cockroach inside his anal canal <laughs> I love George Clinton uh, it's premiere the Sundance crowd were sent scrambling for the exit Thanks to graphic depictions of furuncle fornication. Do yourself a big favor and do not look that up. (laughs) Uh, The attempted cultivation of a disembodied head through the application of human fertilizer and concrete-induced dental demolition. Huh. That sounds uh, like something. <laughs> At least it's not Bootsy Collins, anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if it's must see. It's unmissable, but I don't know. That sounds like it might be unwatchable. <laughs> do you, do you think you cannot miss this one, Seth? I think I'll just listen to some old, like, Parliament CDs or something. Oh. I'll get my Clinton fix. Uh, let's see. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. We mentioned that one earlier. Uh, Alien Covenant. New Alien movie. Adult Babies. That sounds horrifying. Adult Babies? Uh, yeah, that does sound scary. Why? Because husband and wife team Dominic, uh, Dominic Brunt and Joanne Mitchell have a deep love and and enthusiasm for genre cinema that pimps every inch of their low-budget learning curve. They also know how to tap into the rich seams of UK talent. Previous outings include Zombie Shocker Before Dawn and Brutalist Drama Bait. It is penned by Paul Shrimpton, who also involved in in the underrated horror Inbred, it features effects from the ultra-talented Sean Harrison, who did Ex Machina. 
No. Doesn't really say much about the movie, though. Uh, Pylos. Which is about... It's, it's, Means skin. Uh, fearless director Udu Casanova is notorious for making edgy shorts like Eat My Shit. <laughs> <laughs> you have to seek this one out. <laughs> and Pylos is just as creatively spunky. Hmm. I don't know about that. I don't know. This, not, I'm not really hopeful with a lot of these movies. Mm hmm. It sounds like a spinoff from that movie, uh, The Help. Did you ever see that? Where no. she gives her the shit pie? She's like, eat my shit. <laughs> oh. oh, The Help, yeah. So yeah. I did look up for Uncle, uh, for, uh, and apparently it's sex with an open sore. Ew. Oh, man, I'm, I'm kind of yeah, nauseous. I, I think that's must miss now. I don't think I <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sounds like your what was it dead girl movie there mm, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure what's Jojo doing on his bizarre adventure um, in a world where people can wield psychic avatars a family must unite must unite to track down a serial killer okay headshot a young man washes ashore an amnesiac Amnesiac with a serious head injury whose past comes back to haunt him shortly after being nursed back to health by a young doctor. Sounds Violence. Like every is... movie I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Hounds of Love. Sounds like a good song. Vicky Maloney is randomly abducted from a suburban street by a disturbed couple. As she observes a dynamic between her captors, she quickly realizes she must drive a wedge between them if she is to survive. Annihilation. Area X has been cut off from the rest of the continent for decades. The first expedition returned with reports of a pristine... Landscape. The second expedition ended in mass suicide. The Ooh. third expedition in a hail of gunfire. Why would you go there a third time if the second time was mass suicide? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the third expedition in a hail of gunfire as its members turned on one another. The member of the eleventh expedition. So they went back. Keep trying, kids. Uh, you'll, you'll be fine eventually. Returned as shadows of their former selves, and within weeks. All had died of cancer. We're <laughs> now on the seventy fourth expedition. So this move the, the movie joins the twelfth expedition. Like why when they stop going? You would kinda of think after a while, like, yeah, that place sucks. Let's not go there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they need to hire us to write these movies. We <laughs> <laughs> think for a couple seconds. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that don't sound too smart. <laughs> Yeah, then, yeah uh, you kind of get what you deserve at that point, I think. Yeah. And then uh, Killing Ground. A lot of these movies, don't. this one doesn't sound horrid. Just like a, I hate to, I know, I just went on there. Most of these sound like crap, though, now. Yeah. 
Yeah, these are like the modern. Have, like, have I been like, oh, that looks good? <laughs> yeah, none of them even sound interesting to me. Oh, I want to see that. I want about a guy having sex in people's open sores, and then, oh yeah, well, I mean, besides, then that. he's got a cockroach up his ass. That's yeah. Great. <laughs> what about smoke? <laughs> George Clinton's got a cockroach up his ass, and he's doing Bootsy Collins in an open sore. I'm all over that. Exactly, and then oh, and then a new movie by the man who who made Eat My Shit. Yeah, can't go wrong there. I wonder if they'll put that on the poster from from the makers of Eat My Shit. (laughs) That'd be sweet on the in the trailer. Oh yeah, Eat My Shit. I looked that up, and I was afraid like the movie actually wouldn't come up, but but it did. From the Oscar award-winning uh, "Eat My Shit" director comes <laughs> some other bullshit. Also, a website uh, to share "Eat My Shit" uh, animated gifts came up, but I'm not clicking that. Nice. Samantha, this is what "Eat My Shit" is about. Samantha <laughs> has taken a selfie of her face and posted on Instagram. But it has become censored and deleted for alleged sexual content. Samantha did not choose to be born this way. Samantha is sick and tired of people's laughs. And the picture is uh, basically Samantha has like an asshole for her mouth. Nice. Didn't they do that with the Human Centipede 3 poster? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't look very good. I know that's a character in that show too, Assface. <laughs> very what weird. What show? Um, the preacher. Oh. So yeah, there you go. I'll post a picture of eat my shit here for for everyone. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we'll be all right without that. <laughs> all right. Uh, by the way, if uh, you're going to Texas Frightmare, um, uh, it, right now you can go and get the pint glass. Ooh. And if you get the pint glass, it's like 18 bucks, and it's cool. It's got Texas Frightmare all over and stuff. But also with that. Uh, you can get $5 uh, refills on beer all weekend. So if you're, oh, a beer big dr- if you're a big beer drinker, that's a good way to go. I'm not... If I knew they had hard cider, it would be cool. Hmm. I'm sure they would, though. Yeah, I don't know, though. No? If not, I mean, I don't know. In Texas, you never know. That's true. They might... If I they might, might kill ask, you if you order Yeah, I might ask, cider. and they might just beat the shit out of me. That just sounds great. <laughs> Seth doesn't drink. Which I'm not attacking for him, just bring up. <laughs> yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he only smokes crack. Alright. Whoa. Oddly enough, I'm a big David Cross fan, and I was listening to him on uh, what WTF, and I did not know that, that he was like a big crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird. It's like a weird thing. This is for someone to do. There you go. Did you see the picture, Seth, on uh, on the Facebook? Oh, I can't look. I'm afraid. Seth will not. I think Seth's going to be pretty creeped out because. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, now I'll, I'll be brave. I'll suck it up. I'll look. 
I'm afraid. Uh huh. I know Seth has an aversion to buttholes. Wow. In general, That's... but. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Do you think doctors in the 1700s would just see her and, like, we got a blow of smoke in her mouth? <laughs> I tell you, I'm not going to be the one to give her mouth to mouth if she's drowning. No, maybe that's how maybe that's how it all came about. <laughs> People had ass mouth back then, and they were just like, "Well, let's get out the." She got an unfortunate cleft in her chin too. Yeah, it's weird. I know that's just so gross. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's not on my must see list. I'm afraid. I bet her breath is hot. <laughs> <laughs> She should wipe her mouth a little better too. I think it's hair. Oh, okay. If you if you blow that picture up, click on it and it'll blow up, and it's like it's like yeah, it's little hairs all around. Oh yeah, it is. It's even grosser if you look at it big. Yeah, she uh, she probably shouldn't get electrolysis or shave or anything. <laughs> How does she, what does she do like to go to the dentist? <laughs> is she ever going to get married? Has she ever kissed? I have so many questions. Watch a movie and find now out. Now you have to watch a movie to find out. Yeah, right. that tell somebody to design that poster. <laughs> How do you explain it? Because even some of the weirdest movies don't have that weird of posters, right? And do you think they sent a picture of like an asshole? Like, no, make her face more like this. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the actress really looks like right. that. <laughs> you know, they like, post it on Reddit. They're like, "Hey, Photoshop this person's face to be an ass." <laughs> yeah, but then they they just put like the cheeks and like, no, I meant the whole <laughs> more rectumish. All the details. <laughs> they won an award though. Won the X S X X X S W Film Design Award. Hmm. Excellence wow. in poster design. What other movies have won that award? I don't hell if I know. That's some some other quality flicks. <laughs> they just made it for that one year. I shouldn't I shouldn't judge. You know, I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it might be awesome. Might be tremendous. Mm-hmm. I bet it is. I bet it's no greasy strangler. <laughs> I gotta see the greasy strangler. Yes you do. Yeah, indeed. It's on, like I said, it's on Amazon streaming, so if, uh, if either of you uh, have access to that, check it out. I can stream on the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, I'm so lazy now, though. I, I find, like, I get worse and worse and worse. The things that take very little effort, like, annoy me, and I refuse to do them. For real. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's really a sad, like, statement, I think. Like, it's, like, the way, okay, this is going to be, like, weird to describe, but, like, in my kitchen, I obviously have a pantry, and there's, like, next to the pantry, because the pantry's, like, a closet, basically. Mm-hmm. It's really big. And right next to it, there's the counter. So if I, like, have a bag of Doritos in my room, I'm like, oh, I need to take this downstairs, and I won't put it in the pantry. I'll just put it next to it on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. <laughs> oh my god, I'm lazy. That's kind of like me. Like now that I have Netflix through the cable, I like 
don't bother turning on the PlayStation to look at like Amazon or Chiller or any of that jazz. Yeah. Or not Chiller. What's now? Oh, can't think of it. Shutter. Shutter. Right. And like, I I'd like to see what's on Amazon and Shutter, but. I'm too lazy to take the three steps to turn on the PlayStation. <laughs> I want like this instant thing, like with the remote. And now that I can talk into my remote, like I'm turning into the most useless piece of shit you've ever seen. You know, like I, I refuse to do anything. I talk to my remote and sit there. <laughs> you can talk to your remote. Yeah, my remote. I talk to it, and it does things. Now, does, it, does this really happen, or is this, like, on your mind? It might be in my mind. I don't know. <laughs> what, <laughs> what kind of, kind of things does it do? Because you made that sound incredibly dirty. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it'll roll cigarettes for me. It'll give me a rim job. Oh, God. No, it'll, it'll find, uh, <laughs> I'll say, like, Netflix, and it goes to Netflix for me. Netflix. I can say, like, NFL, and it'll show me all the football games on it's I think the most hilarious vision of like the remote like giving you a rim job and it has this like really like big long tongue. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It would have like the stones like uh you know, tongue from the you know, their logo. <laughs> I wonder if it can like talk back. I'm waiting for that. If it starts talking to me, I'm gonna marry that remote. <laughs> but it's true though, like I, I I can't tell you the last time I've turned on the PlayStation to check out what's on uh, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. Yeah, I haven't either. Well, I don't have a PlayStation, but yeah, same. <laughs> now, since Seth doesn't drink, should we do spit and swallows some weeks where we just like all drink like a flavor of Gatorade or something? <laughs> you guys drink your drinks. I'll sit here with like my various sodas. <laughs> You just fake it with us. So yeah, this is fucking great. We're like, oh, we're we're having uh, tw- tw- twinnings. Uh, your Earl Grey with lavender tonight. <laughs> fucking called twinnings. Twinings, like this, but it's got two ends in it, so it should be twinnings. It's got not put together. Yeah, in the middle, isn't it? It's T W I N N, isn't it? Oh, it's not. Whatever. Well. Whatever, bastards. T W I N I N G S. Twinings. <laughs> I think that's what I'm used to call it, and someone told me it's actually called pronounced twinnings. Whoever the fuck said that is illiterate. They lied to you. Because I know I pronounced it the way it was it's spelled, but then someone told me it's actually pronounced a different. Term. I mean, I thought it was twinnings when I first saw it, and then I read it. Mm. Because you're like, oh, I drank Twinnings, and I was like, that's because we're hashtag Twinning. <laughs> so, anyway, I want to let everyone know. Uh, you you can guys look- are on your own, though, if you're doing the hot tea, spit or swallow. You won't drink tea? Hot tea? I, I love me some iced tea. I just don't really... I'll, I'll drink, like, the occasional, like, black tea at the Chinese restaurant. That's green tea. That's about it for me. That's green tea. I can't drink uh, long tea. I can't drink iced coffee. No, I can't either. I hate it. I hate iced coffee. I love hot coffee and I love iced tea. 
I don't you know, know what though. I don't think I would mind iced coffee as much if they didn't use like ice cubes. If they like froze some coffee and like use those ice cubes. Oh yeah, yeah, because that would be was watered down. Yeah, that's a good yeah. Point. that'd be less thoroughly disgusting. What if we just eat snacks? I'm down for that. Yeah, that sounds good to me too. Yeah. All right, we'll think of this. We'll think. We'll think. I've of got this. dinner delivered. Postmates, anything. Like, let's do it. <laughs> If we got like, uh, we need someone to send send us like Belgian chocolate, and we can try those. Out. Yeah, send us stuff. That's what, uh, that that's what we gotta do. You send us chocolate, and we'll eat them. God yeah. damn it! Speaking of that, by the way, uh, I have a birthday coming up. So if oh, you, yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants to send me something, uh, feel free. Exactly. It's PO Box four one five. Sandwich Mass 02563. I have to say, I got some stuff already. Uh, Jason uh, Mitten sent me the Greasy Strangler, which was fantastic. And another movie, I forget the name offhand, but it's in the other room. Uh, but it's uh, I have to go, I have to finagle my Blu-ray player to watch it because it's a uh, it's a it's a, a English Blu-ray. So there's a oh. way you can fix your Blu-ray to, to play it. Uh, so I will have to figure that out. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, Mike Terry sent me all kinds of stuff. Some cool shit, too. I saw that. Yeah, he sent me uh, shot glasses, Nightmare on Elm Street shot glasses. Ooh. He sent me uh, flower uh, lapels. He sent me monster pins. Um, he sent me Baskin on Blu-ray, which I love Baskin. And I just got this today. He sent me a full, a big-ass poster of... The original uh, Phantom of the Opera, which is just nice. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, huge thank you to both Jason Mitten and uh, and Mike Terry. Now, thank everyone who listens to the show anyway. You don't have to send me stuff, but uh, special thanks. If you do, that's okay too. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the video is out. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. The video is out as well on our YouTube page of me, Annabelle, and Troy uh, opening uh, presents that people sent in. Uh, I think that's a lot of fun. It's a lot of silliness going on too. It's a fun I video. I always look forward to that. Yeah, so subscribe to uh, YouTube.com/slash Without Your Head Horror. Just Without Your Head, I think. Um, good stuff up there. Good times. Uh, anything the else? Guys at work loved your poo hats. Those are pretty sweet. Yep. Seth, what do you think of the poo the the poo hats? Bitch. <laughs> And on as far as gifts go, I I got the second part of like my Christmas gift yesterday, and it was a box of what do they call Neil? Just Marvel box? Yeah, Marvel, Marvel crate. crate, Marvel crate, I believe. And um, this one was all uh, the the other one that I got was all like Doctor Strange stuff, which was just tremendous. This was just just as cool because this was all like uh kitchen stuff and so it was a black panther um uh apron and uh a dr pym uh measuring glass so it goes from ant-man size all the way up to like giant man goliath size uh some other really cool stuff but the greatest thing in it, and I have ice cubes going right now because we were just talking about ice cubes, is it has a little Modoc uh, 
ice cube, not tray, but one single mm-hmm. bowl. You know, like a big sphere kind of thing. And totally badass. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Pretty, pretty sweet. I dig it a lot. Alright. Well, I had a good time. Anything else, guys? Before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think that's about it from from my end of the universe. Seth, anything you want to add? Uh-uh. Mr. Hizzy Hizzy Ha! Do you prefer Hizzy Hizzy Ha or Cunt? <laughs> I did not know you were about to say that. <laughs> it's very rare that Neil drops the C word. Yeah, I don't work blue. I don't I don't like to swear. <laughs> you lying like a shit. <laughs> Uh, I never swear in the show. It's like the first time I think I've ever said that word. Uh Uh-oh, you said fuck earlier. I probably said funk. Yeah, because we were talking about George Clinton. Mm -hmm. If you said funk, you would never hear from me again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a good influence. Alright, well, anything else there, Seth? Thank you for filling in, by the way. You're a good man. Yes, it was fun having you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun to be here. Better be, bitch. What the fuck are you going to do if it's not? <laughs> fuck you up, boy. Do it. Fuck you up, boy. Down to Texas. How? <laughs> Jesus. Should I wear... Texas where they knock your teeth out if you ask for a, a hard cider, man. <laughs> I would. I don't think I was there once. Well, there were some pretty, there were some like old school cowboys down there, honestly. But overall, everybody was cool, and there was like some weird, weird like homeless guy that I was kind of scared of. <laughs> yeah, but we have those here too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're everywhere. There's a lot of them in Boston too. But we pulled into because uh, we didn't know what the hell, where the hell we are, and the weird thing about Texas is like, like you can be. One spot that looks like, like, we went, okay, so let me explain. We went to find uh, a good barbecue, and we found this one place that had a great barbecue, and you went there, and it was just, it really looked like Texas Chainsaw Massacre land. (laughs) And the barbecue place was like in this, like, shack, honestly, just like this old wooden shack. And it it was closed, and like it was spray painted on it. I not it wasn't a sign. It was like literally spray. It was like had like wood just boarded over the window, and spray painted like closed. It was like oh my god! Like you're probably gonna get like get out of here. And you're gonna become the barbecue. <laughs> and then like literally like around the corner, it's like this real nice place and all this stuff going. So you could like you can just go like. You know, not even mile, like, uh, like, like, you know, ten minutes away, and like, you're like, you can be in like desolate, like, place where you're gonna be murdered and turn into chili, and then you can be like in a real nice, you know, area. It's very strange, but yeah, there's a few places like that in Texas. So I was like, man, this, this is weird. I'm gonna stay out of here. So yeah, we were, both of them happened. We we're looking for barbecue. It was that place, which I'm kind of glad was closed because I don't know if I really went ate there anyway. <laughs> and the other place we were trying to find uh, barbecue, and we found this one place, and like we started going in there, and um, like all the windows had like had bars and 
it seemed uh-huh. like everyone like around there was like had guns and I was like I don't think we should go here. <laughs> then we went to like a little uh, package store, a liquor store near there, and we went to get out, and there was like this creepy guy, creepy homeless dude, like sweeping the the. Now that I think about it, why was he sweeping like the parking lot with like a broom? That's <laughs> And then he, he goes home and pops the driveway. <laughs> then he just wanted money, and I gave him a dollar, and he's like, how oh, about two or three dollars? I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, I never saw him when, like, you give him a buck. You think they'd be happy, but he wanted more money, so we just got out of there. Then he wanted money to go in and buy us, like, liquor in the liquor store, even though we were part, we were there at the liquor store. <laughs> it was all very weird. But overall, I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Except for all the people you met there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wasn't half bad. <laughs> but no, I had a good time. I'm looking forward to some barbecue. Seth, do you eat barbecue? Yeah. Right. Good man. You know I eat meat. <laughs> I know you. I know you eat. You go. You always packing the meat in your mouth. But um, <laughs> I don't know if you eat barbecue. I know you. You eat. I just think. I just thought you'd just eat tacos. I could go for a taco right now. I wonder if there's a such thing as barbecue tacos. Oh, hell yeah. You can't like barbecued pork tacos a rule. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tacos, uh-huh. <laughs> I told you this already, but I went to Taco Bell and got that like fried chicken. Oh, how was it? It was awful. Oh, no. It tasted like gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Like disposable gloves or like winter yes. gloves, like like the, like winter gloves. It was and like because <laughs> we get it, and like it tasted like that. But when I smelled it, I was like, "This smells like Barbies." <laughs> Neither sound appetizing. <laughs> and my friend Kaylee was making fun of me. I was like, "This smells like gloves and Barbies." <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, she's like Seth eats Barbies and I'm like no that's what they, they taste the way Barbies smell <laughs> then I saw there's a new one at KFC the the, the pizza and it's a it's a pizza on a fried chicken crust so instead of the yeah, pizza yeah but I think dough, that's only in like Asia isn't it oh maybe I don't know I think so thank god because I don't know, like, because I was wondering how thin they'd have to get the chicken in, like, the uh, the taco shell. Can't be much chicken in there, I wouldn't think. Yeah, is it mostly coating in, in, the, glo- in the chicken glove? In the chicken glove. No, it's like the actual, like, fried chicken. It's like a, I guess, patty of some sort. And it's like, they, that's the taco shell. Mm-hmm. And then it's like lettuce and tomato on the inside. And that's it. But the last... Yeah. Last time I went there, it was when they had the Dorito one, and I was all excited. And then it was gross. I took, like, two bites and threw it away. Oh, really? All I get are the Dorito ones. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe it's the Taco Bells around here. Maybe they just suck. I mean, there's, like, they have the, like, cheesy gordita crunch, which is heavenly, by the way. If you haven't had that, whoo. But I get that with the Dorito shell. Oh, okay. Because I was all excited when I saw the ads, and then I got one, and I hated it. Every now and then, I will get one that's stale. And so I just, like, don't eat it for, like, ten minutes, and then let it get a little soggy. (laughs) (laughs) Then you're good to go. It's kind of gross, but still, you know. 
Yeah, apparently this is uh, only in Singapore. Ah. The uh, KFC Cheetza. You know someone else will steal it, though, like Taco Bell or, I mean, um, mm-hmm. no, Christ, Pizza Hut or... I like Burger King because Burger King's been doing some weird shit lately. Although I do dig the hot dogs at Burger King. Ew. You have not had one. Yeah, I, I actually really liked it. I, I didn't know what to expect. But I dug it. And I had that mac and Cheetos thing, and it wasn't bad. No? It was like, alright. It was real cheesy, though. I think it probably would have been better if it was just like the fried like macaroni and cheese than yeah. instead says, of like the Cheeto dust. Says here That's that- like the new win thing is the fried mac and cheese. It's pretty good. I dig it. Mm-hmm. It says here in Japan that they uh, they give you two finger condoms to eat your chicken with. What the? So you, so you don't get the grease out. On, so you don't get grease on your fingers. And I see it here. It's like a it's like a glo- like a like a plastic glove, but it only goes on your 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 thumb and your and your index finger. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> it is pretty lame. <laughs> Whatever happened to finger looking good, you know? Well, I guess he can't in Japan. All right. Japan has different rules. That's like showing a yankle in Japan, man. They frown on <laughs> Yeah, they're they're really anti-pubes, too, in Japan. I yeah. <laughs> but they like the undies. Mm-hmm. So, Seth, if you're ever in Japanese porn, you got to shave the pubes. <laughs> or they just get pixelated. Now, that cracks me up when because I watch lots of porn fails and a lot of them are Japanese and it cracks me up that they blur it out like you can still see every detail. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like why bother? Like they don't censor out like the you know how do I put this the naughty bits the load no <laughs> you're like oh that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine to show the unborn babies everywhere. But. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you're going to watch porn, watch porn bloopers because it's hilarious. Semen five. Have to check that out. Mm-hmm. All right, five. guys. Well, I got to call it a night. All right. Well, I think it's about time we all call it a night. So this is Nasty Neil. And Terrible Troy. Say your name, sir. And. Bye. <laughs> Does he say your own name? I don't have one. Just like his butthole, he does not have one. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, so this now we laugh. <laughs> and shocking, Seth. Never more than one prayer from the Lord It's a tightrope that you're walking Between good and evil Sometimes good and evil Is a double-edged sword Don't ask for answers I've got on Don't ask for directions Cause I've lost my
loving goddamn if I can remember where the hell you've been wherever I'm heading I'm probably better off not knowing there'll be plenty of time when I get there to relive Next stop is heaven, ain't something that I'll be hearing Next stop is hell's just a tired walk, now cliche Next stop's the last stop, is really all that I'm hearing Boy, it's a hell of a ride But I guess it's high time I I wish that you could be around to tell my story I wish that you could tell them all for me But without you this tragic tale's got no end I 